Hello and welcome to I Assure You We're Podcasting, the show on the Talk Film Society where we take a look at the work of Kevin Smith. I'm Mike, and today I am joined by my dad, Tom. Or should I call you Father Tom? <laughs> Tom is fine. Okay, all right. Um, today we're going to be talking about Kevin Smith's fourth movie, Dogma, and uh, the reason why I have you on the show is because you used to be a Catholic priest. Right. Um, so, okay, so let's talk about that. Uh, having met you, I would say that is a very weird choice. <laughs> uh, wh- how, wh- why? Why? Did you become a priest? Well, I was a lifer. I started right up after grade school, went to the seminary high school, and just sort of kept going from there. It was easier to keep going than to than to not until later when I decided to not want to keep going anymore. Okay, but, all right. So, so you you were a priest for like ten years, something like that. No, four years. Oh, just four years? Yeah. Oh, because years. you had like. Lots and lots of, like, college and stuff? That's right. We had, uh, well, there was the four years of high school, then uh, four years of college, and then four years of theology studies. So wow. it was 12 altogether after grade school. Okay. Okay. So so you became a priest. It still seems super bizarre, because you never, like, I can never think of a single time where you were like, yeah. Jesus, religion, you know, like mom would do that all the time. <laughs> but for you, it was just like, uh, you know, and, and it was really interesting, like whenever we would like go to mass or whatever, like I feel like it was kind of like when I go see a movie or whatever, where you, you'd come out of it and you'd be like, uh, you know, that was a very well-crafted homily or, you know, like, oh man, I can't stand this guy every single week. You know, but you would never be like, did you hear what he had to say? Did you listen to that message? It was always about, like, the form, you know? Okay, yeah. Well, I I think if, uh, well, I I think rarely in regular masses is the message that's significant that the form doesn't overshadow it. Uh, I think, yeah, unfortunately, that that is the case in, in a lot of religious services, I think, but um, sometimes when people have a really, really good, strong message, um, the form is relatively immaterial, but um, I don't know. To me, it, it more often got in the way than, than helped to communicate the ideas. And and that's something which I find interesting, I guess, about, you know, like some of the stories that I've heard about you as a priest, because it seems like you were kind of, um, I don't know, you, you went a little rogue when you wanted to. I mean, the two instances that, that I, 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 can, I, I always remember, one is uh, when... It, it, like the air conditioning broke or there was no air conditioning it was like a hundred degrees you just kind of like cut parts of the service out that you didn't think were very important is that right i don't remember that but it's 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 possible but um i mean there's there are elements of the service which are essential for that service and so i wouldn't have cut anything like that out but i would have 
probably made the, the sermon very short because that's one thing I could definitely control. Uh, and there are variations on what prayers to select, and I would take the 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 shortest uh, version of the various prayers. Like there's the main prayer of the Mass, there's, I believe, four, at least at, when I was there, was four different variations. You know, one was relatively long, one was relatively short. So you'd, and I could pick whichever one I wanted. So I would take the one that's the shortest. Sometimes even when it wasn't real hot, just... <laughs> That seems reasonable. But the other part is that, you know, sometimes, though, the the long one, it really was, I mean, the words were really significant. And so, I like, for funerals, I almost always used the long one because I really thought the words of the of the long version were a lot more appropriate for a funeral thing. I mean, I'm talking long. I'm not talking about 20 minutes longer or something like that. I'm talking, you know, maybe three or four minutes longer than the other version. I mean, it's not not a huge difference in terms of time. Yeah. Okay. Um, the other the other story which I love is um, apparently one time, uh, like the week before Christmas, uh, instead of giving a sermon, you decided to just uh, have everyone sit in um, uh, contemplative silence for a few minutes. Yeah, I, I remember doing that. Got a lot of compliments on that one. A lot of people, yeah. a lot of people thought that was the best sermon they had. <laughs> They had not heard. <laughs> well, that's good. See, and I mean, that's like outside of the box thinking. Like, you know, if 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 you were the priest over here, I might I might have stuck around for a few more weeks. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not. Um, so okay. So in the movie, you know, and we can get to that. But they do part. I mean, one of the you know elements of the movie is modifying what has come before in order to capture a younger audience or whatever. And so, okay, we'll get into that. Um, but then, okay. So, so, so then uh, the, the other story, which, cause this is for like a, a movie network. I, I feel like you need to tell your exorcist story, which I mean, you told okay. me. I, I, I don't see. Lots of these are probably stories that mom told me and whatever. <laughs> but um, apparently, you mean about seeing the movie. Mean or or no? When the, like oh. when the movie came out and was yeah. at its height. Apparently, you got a visit from some some people oh, in the middle yes. of the night. Yes, I do remember that. Yeah, there was a a family that came, rang the doorbell. It was the middle of the night. I don't remember what time it was. I know it was definitely got me out of bed though, um, and I went down. And uh, they were contending that um, I think it was a woman. There was their their daughter or their sister or somebody. It was an adult woman was possessed, and uh, they wanted me or whoever had answered the door, whatever priest answered the door, to do an exorcism for him, exorcism for them. I didn't know what to tell them. I mean, I I mean, I know we didn't really do exorcisms, especially in the in the same. In the same context that the uh, the movie was was set up like that, so uh, I, I asked this other priest, the, the older fellow who was there with, and he told him, "Go over to the hospital, and this is not something that involves the devil." And of course, he was absolutely right. And I suspect, judging the way this woman was be acting, it, that she had probably just, you know, had a bad reaction to some drug she was taking, because she was really not. She wasn't acting, you know, normally, and of course these folks were convinced that she was possessed by the devil, and that was why she was not acting normally. You know, I, 
was at a point where I didn't really feel like turning somebody away who came to the church for help. But on the other hand, I didn't know what to do. So, so if if uh, if someone had been possessed by the devil, would you have been able to perform an exorcism on them? Uh, probably not. No, because uh, every diocese, or at least our diocese at the time had one priest who was authorized to do formal exorcisms. So there actually is a priest authorized to do a formal exorcism? There was. Actually, I had him uh, when I was in high school. He was a a religion teacher. Really, really nice guy. But he had done his graduate work in theology, but he was doing studying things like like possessions and the supernatural and all that. And uh, the bishop had selected him to be the Exorcist for the diocese. I don't know if he ever performed one. He never talked about it. I don't know that he ever did. I suspect not. Because the church doesn't really... I mean, they were really upset when the movie came out. I think a lot of the official people in the church because it depicted a reality that was not really a reality. Yeah. There really was... I mean, within the history of the church, there is that, that function. And in fact, as you progress toward the priesthood, there's a series of orders that come before you're ordained a priest and one of them it's, it's a considered a minor order it's, it's exorcist that is one of the orders and theoretically you know you would be entitled to do that if the bishop ever said you could do that but I mean it, had not, it was a routine automatic thing there was no no training or anything like that it was just something that so like four years of you know it of, was of, it was biblical study or whatever it was and at no point did they say like this is how you perform no, an exercise no no never 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 they never. just say like you can do it if you need to well then even I mean you know, historically that was a step toward becoming a priest way way back so like before, middle ages so it's like you're not even a priest yet oh yeah right you can do no, it. not even you know you know like I said it was a minor order there were ones that you you could. Uh, I mean, the orders were, were coming back from many, many, many centuries ago when there were functions within the church. Like one of them was a porter, so someone who would be manning the doors of the church. And then there was a lector, someone who would handle readings, do readings. And then there was exorcist, and there was an acolyte, and the acolyte was one who would be assisting it at mass and so forth, so like a glorified altar boy. So, So there's like four... Like like pathways to becoming a priest, and one of them is like doorman, and one of them is like what was it like a reader? Yeah, like, okay, reader. so so one person like opens the door, one person reads, one person like puts out the wafers, and then one person like performs exorcisms. That was centuries ago. Okay, those were functions. Yes, but they have not. I don't know when they last ever exercised those functions. Okay. All right. You know, so that's interesting. But it was it, in the history of the church, which is strange itself, but that was, yeah. that those were created. And so they just carried them on. Like how much of the church just carries on, you know. The, okay. But. So so in, in practice, if like someone, like if I become possessed right now, we're, we're just pretty much screwed. There's nothing that you can... Uh, no, so I certainly no. wouldn't have the authority to do anything. I don't think the the devil would ever recognize my authority. If he's going to possess you, he's not going to let me stop him. So, like in a pinch, you can't. No. No. Okay. Well, that's no. too bad. Um, okay. So, so, so then, 
mom started working at the church that you were working at and you were like oh she's way better than jesus i'm gonna leave this this thing and go work for the government instead that's right yeah i uh, having met mom i would say you made the right choice she is way better than jesus <laughs> lucky for you yeah luckily lucky for me yes but even objectively speaking uh, i think you made the right choice so okay so then so then they because I, I, I know like so so like you guys had to get married and grandma and grandpa's backyard right because they like kicked you out is that how it were i mean like do you, how yeah. does that like do you put in i mean i'm assuming they don't like ask for your two weeks or whatever they're just like no. you're done but i i basically I, I just submitted a resignation yeah that was it so then i was i was gone but because you know the church considers um holy order sacred like i'm still I guess technically still considered a priest in the in the church's. So, so you could perform the exorcism if well, need be. I mean, not well, not really. I mean, probably not. No, no. I okay. don't think that because right. in addition to having the, I was having like the the uh, ability to do it, you still have to have the authority to do some of that stuff. You know. Okay. And I don't have any authority anymore for any of the okay. stuff. Okay. You know? So since they say like once a priest always a priest, they were like you cannot get married That's in right. the church. So like if if uh, if I decided to to divorce mom and go say I'm going to go back and become a priest, I would not be ordained again. If they ever took me back, which I can't imagine they ever would. Yeah, I was going to say that doesn't sound like it would go. Over no, it's too not well. likely that's going to happen. Yeah, but they uh, they would not go through the ordination ceremony again because I've already been ordained. So okay. So okay, so so they so they kicked you out when it comes to like um, getting married, but you well, can still I, like go I re- there. I resigned because okay. I, I, yeah, they yeah. would have. Yeah, I mean, never, but 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 like if you were to go back and be like, hey, can I get married in this church? They'd be like, no. Yeah, that's right. That's but they're exactly. but they're still cool with you like coming on a regular basis or whatever if you want. Yeah, they, they mean, haven't yeah, stopped not, you. Yeah, I'm not absolutely excommunicated or anything okay. like that. I'm just all right. Yeah, well. I don't know whether I am or not. I, I, I so, haven't pursued it, so I don't know. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, like, when you die, are they going to let you into heaven? Uh, they don't have anything to say about that, fortunately, which oh. is really sort of nice. Okay. Well, that's cool. That's that, cool. That would be up to God. Okay. All right. Um, and I'm, I guess I'm not too worried about that in a couple of different senses, but that's... <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay, so okay, so 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 now we got through your we, we got through your history and you know established sort of like a baseline for uh, for for that. So now let's take a look at at the movie uh, Dogma. Now before we get into the movie, let's just get into a little bit of the history of the movie. Uh, Kevin Smith was raised Catholic. He was very Catholic for uh, a long time. Although since this movie came out, he has basically realized that it's not really a real thing and he's you know become atheist or whatever um but at the time he was very religious even though he you know had some big problems with the church itself which it seems very similar to like the way that that you guys raised us like you know mom would always like say things like well, for one thing, she was always very critical of the church. I mean, most of my childhood, right, like Pope John Paul II was the guy in charge, right? She, like, hated him. Like, hated him with a passion. She likes this new guy, 
who's granted better, but he still has some some big problems, but whatever. But she hated that guy, and she would always be like fighting with the church and saying that's dumb you know don't li- i mean basically what the movie says right like you know oh the church is fine but it's run by people and some people are idiots and you know god is this you know god is the real thing you know just listen to god and, and stuff and that's basically the premise of the movie you know so so it seems like that's that's kind of in in line with you know what kevin smith was uh saying which is why when the movie came out i was like you guys should see this because i thought you would like it and and you did um back then but we'll get into that in a minute so kevin smith very religious very catholic but also critical of it in in some sense and he wrote this movie like way back like before he made clerks it was just the type of thing where there was no way that someone of his you know experience could have made a movie like this or could have gotten the money to make a movie like this which is why he made three smaller movies prior to it and finally after chasing amy they were like okay we will make dogma we will give you the money for this and you know the two things which they said which um we talked about on the last episode is they said you need to uh, get a different cinematographer someone who's actually experienced and you need to cast someone other than Joey Lauren Adams, who was his girlfriend at, at the time, as the lead. And I think history would prove that both of those were mistakes. They, they hired Robert Yeoman to uh, shoot the movie. He was Wes Anderson's cinematographer. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I think this movie looks pretty bad, but that's okay. Meanwhile, you know... Um, Dave Klein, who had shot his other movies, who they said he could not hire. Yeah, he was very inexperienced at the time, but he took that opportunity to hone his craft. And now he's, you know, been nominated for Emmys and everything. And he's the cinematographer on The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett. So things worked out for him. Meanwhile, Joey Lauren Adams, who was getting nominated for Golden Globes and stuff for Chasing Amy while all this was going on, she got, you know, basically tossed aside for Linda Fiorentino, who, you know... Kevin Smith was very open about not getting along with her at all during the making of this movie and, you know, really that being sort of a very bad fit. Um, But regardless, uh, they made the movie and then the Catholic League got involved and decided that they needed to protest the movie. And I remember this being a thing at the time. Now, do you have any idea what the Catholic League is? Never heard of it before. And that, I think, kind of tells you all you need to know. Apparently, it's some sort of weird, crazy, fanatical offshoot of the Catholic Church, which basically does all this stuff for publicity, right? And yeah, I mean, I, I don't know when you say an offshoot of the Catholic Church. I don't know if there's any maybe they weren't any official relationship to it at all. I mean, I never even heard of it before. I it doesn't mean doubt. it. I mean, let's let's take uh, a look. Let's take a look and see. Let's go to Google. Hang on. Catholic League. Here we go. Wikipedia. 
The Catholic League for Religious and Civil Rights, often shortened to the Catholic League, is an American Catholic organization whose stated purpose is to defend the right of Catholics, lay and clergy alike, to participate in American public life without defamation or discrimination. The Catholic League states that it is motivated by the letter and the spirit of the First Amendment to safeguard both the religious freedom rights and the free speech rights of Catholics whenever and wherever they are threatened. According to the Encyclopedia of American Religion and Politics, the League is regarded by many as the preeminent organization representing the views of American lay Catholics. I mean, that sounds pretty big, actually, right? And I never heard of them. <laughs> I, okay. You know, it, they're certainly not uh, sanctioned by the church in, in the sense of they're, they're a church organization, or I don't think they're even sponsored by the church. Uh, they might be, you know, some of their things might be approved by some bishops and so forth. But first of all, it looks like it's strictly an American thing. They're talking about the First Amendment and all that. So it yeah, they're like based in Milwaukee. It looks yeah, like. so it's not really a um, universal Catholic organization by any means. Um, they, they're they looking after the interests and the image of American Catholics as they see them being threatened. It sounds like, you know, I don't know anything about them, but if they were opposed to the movie, it's what would make sense that they would be, they would feel that, that's, that it was insulting to Catholics and... Yes, yes, okay, just continuing Wikipedia. Always the best podcaster is reading Wikipedia. Sure. Dogma. The year 1999 saw the release of Kevin Smith's controversial film Dogma. Smith was a practicing Catholic, as Kevin Smith confirmed in an interview on the film's DVD. Several religious groups, especially the Catholic League, said that the film was anti-Catholic and blasphemous and organized protests, including one that took place at the November 12th premiere of the film at Lincoln Center in New York City. Smith said that several of the protests occurred before the film was even finished, suggesting that the protests were more about media attention for groups than for whatever was controversial about the film. The Catholic League's main complaints were that the film's main character is supposedly a descendant of Mary, who happens to work in an abortion clinic, which were seen as ironic conventions for a Catholic. The film's distributor, Miramax, removed its name from the production and hired attorney Dan Petroselli to defend it publicly. Petroselli accused Donahue of trying to stir a violent reaction to the film. Donahue responded by taking out an op-ed ad in the New York Times on September 12, 1999, saying that the comments were in an attempt to stifle his free speech. According to Smith, Donahue actually invited me out to have a beer after making my life hell for six months. So there you go. But because of that, yeah, Miramax, which was owned by Disney, said we're not going to release the movie. So the movie was purchased uh, by the people who ran Miramax, Harvey Weinstein, and they released it through Lionsgate, I believe. But because of that, Harvey Weinstein now owns the movie, which is why you can't get it on any streaming service or on Blu-ray or anything like that. It's just in limbo, ironically enough, um, (laughs) because it's owned by the devil. So there you go. But one day, maybe one day, apparently he's in the process of selling it to somebody and maybe it will show up at some point further down the line. Okay, so the movie finally came out and... uh, 
I had seen it. Now, this is, is kind of weird because, like, when I was a senior in high school, so, like, 1998, like, a year before the movie came out or a year and a half before the movie came out, um, you know, like, I would hang out in the TV studio at the uh, at, at the high school during, like, you know, study halls or whatever, and they had the internet, which was a, a rarity. We did not have that at home. So... I would use it to basically look up stuff on Kevin Smith. And one of the things that I found, you know, which was kind of prevalent back then, was the script for Dogma had leaked online. And I was just trying to get any Kevin Smith I could get. So I, this is only one of two times where I read the script for the movie before the movie came out. And then because of all the controversy, I had to wait like a year and a half to actually see the movie. And when I saw the movie at, like, an advanced exhibitor screening, you know, I really loved it. Although I did think that it was kind of, like, you could see, like, to this day, I can see the stuff which is missing that they cut out for whatever reason. Probably because it was so long. And and, and so even though I, I love this movie, I always think, like, man, if they had, like, an extended cut, it would be, it would be so much better. But I liked it. And uh, we opened it up at the theater that I was working at at the time, the lake. And I was like, you guys have to come and see it. And I, so you and mom came to see it on like, it was like opening weekend. Uh, and I remember at the time you liked it. Do you remember going to see it? I, I, I remember seeing it before this week. I don't remember doing it at the theater or whatever, but I do remember seeing it before, and and I I thought it was funny then. I'm seeing it again. I I didn't remember much of it, but I thought it was funny still. The the one thing that I remember you saying that always stuck with me is again, you know, the whole like, you know, nerdy like correcting, you know, inaccuracies or whatever. You were like, oh, you know, Alan Rickman's character. He says, "I'm a seraphim." And you're like, seraphim is plural. That's right. <laughs> okay. So what what should it be? One seraph, one seraph, several seraphim. Okay. So you should have said, I'm a seraph. A seraph, yeah. Okay. And hardly anybody knows what a seraphim is anyway, or, or a seraph, or a seraphim. Um, right, as he points out. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and see, and, and I was waiting for you, like, while we were watching it this time, I was waiting for you to say, like, it should be seraph. Well, there's <laughs> there are a lot of things that were not accurate presentations of what even the the church was doing at the time. But you know, it was it's a comedy. It's a humorous thing, and and it takes advantage of people's misunderstandings and beliefs about the church, and and you know, it's really not meant to be a history of the church or. Or and the, and the the title itself is misleading because there's virtually nothing. In that, I'm trying to think if there's even anything in there that actually represents or makes fun of or correctly portrays Catholic dogma. I mean, at all at best it would be Catholic practices. You know, like they make fun of the meet on Friday kind of thing. I suppose we're just really. Oh, uh, for I guess in in government leaves there would be just be administrative rules. They weren't anything that was essential. It wouldn't be stuff that's in the Constitution, for instance. And it wouldn't be any, you know, the dogma is is, you know, there there are some things that the church considers dogma that 
they say if you don't accept these things, you you really can't call yourself a Catholic. And most of those are, are unusual theological concepts that have, and he didn't talk about theology at all. He was all talking about practice, like indulgences. First of all, the indulgence, it was not something that said, like, if, a plenary indulgence. You know, if you go through the door, you're going to automatically get into heaven. Then everybody thought that was what indulgences were. But indulgences were things that the church was using to make money. And all they said was that, and most of them were in terms of days. Was it, you know, be like for seven years indulgence or something. It means that if you were to do penance for seven years, your soul would be in roughly the same state as it would be now if you said this prayer eight times and got seven years indulgences. Or you went through this church and you get a get a plenary indulgence would mean that you, you know, did all of your all of your uh, your penance was taken care of. It never was an automatic thing to get into heaven. Although a lot of Catholics thought that's what they meant. But that was never really what initially like when, when Martin Luther was uh, complaining about the church selling indulgences, which they clearly did. And, you know, you can get a fundraiser. That was before bingo, so you had to get your money somehow. Uh, you, so they would say, hey, we can, you know, help you get uh, get good with God because if you did penance for seven years, you don't have to do that. You can just, you know, go through the door or go to this brand new church or you can um, say eight gazillion Hail Marys or whatever you want to, you know, whatever the thing was that they were going to do. Or you can you can pay and we'll give you an indulgence. But it was just, I mean, it never really had anything to do with any doctrine and it certainly did not relate to anything that would be, you know, even biblical, which is you know, a step below that too, you know. I mean, it's just, but it's what people believed and what they thought. So it was a perfect thing to make fun of because a lot of Catholics thought that's what indulgence was. So that that, that was the first example that, that popped in my head. I really wasn't concerned about seraph and seraphim, although I have to say it did hit me when they said that. He said, I'm a seraphim, you know. So one of the, one of the other shows that I do on, on my network filmdamagepod.com this shameless plug is uh called elementary temporal mechanics where we look at time travel movies and we basically um discuss what's wrong with them why they don't make sense but then we try to figure out like a way for them to make sense right so like in terms of this plenary plenary indulgence thing which was um the sort of like the central piece of this of this story Mm. um Okay, I, I get what you're saying. So, I could see a scenario where Bartleby and Loki don't understand it, right? The two angels, and they're going to do this because they don't, because they think they're going to get into heaven, just like these people think it means that they'll get into heaven, when in reality, it doesn't mean that. Now, what's a penance? Is that like? saying the rosary or something? Well, a penance is something that you do basically to atone for the sins you have committed, the evil that you have done. And in apart even from the, the church thing, um, you know, you can say that, that a penance is something that, um, like, if, I, if I'm really, you know, say I'm, I'm, I'm driving drunk and I kill somebody, um, uh, my penance would be probably be to serve time in jail, 
but it could be, you know, well, you can't ever touch your drop of liquor again. That would be a penance. That would be something that hard, but it would sort of be, it's the concept of balancing out the, the scales, you know, so that for every evil, there's got to be some good to help balance it out, which is a completely human concept, you know, but it's... But, many, but, in, the, but in, the, in the Catholic sense... Right, a penance was basically a way to symbolize that you're that you're sorry for you did something wrong, and so you're trying to make up for it. Let's put it that way. So you're atoning for your sins. So, so, um, and it used to be stuff like you know, going barefoot in the snow. I mean, there was physical suffering involved in it, and originally, you know, mm-hmm. and then it people say hey, it's not so cool. So let's just say. Um, Oh, and we end up with the concept of purgatory. So that's going to be penance after you die to make up for your sins, you know. Yeah. But there are all these constructs that, that people came up with to try to rationalize what they think God would do if, if they were God. So, okay. So so going back to, to the movie, um, okay, people think that you go through the archway and that so now you have a clean slate so theoretically if you were to die right then you would you would go up to heaven and and, and nothing would be wrong because everything is wiped clean like that's right when, okay but the reality of the situation what is it like if if you know the church down the street was going to do a plenary a plenary indulgence like that would basically just mean like um Oh well, you know, you did something bad, and now instead of having to, you know, do a rosary or something, you're just off the hook. Well, yeah, pretty much. The, the plenary indulgence was just sort of like, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll forget about the atonement part. You can just, uh, you can just you'll be, you'll go get, on to live your com- life without feeling sorry com- about it at we'll all. Com- well, see, that's where the whole thing was foolish because it all broke down. But that was what the, the church was saying because they yeah. were trying to justify, you know, the concept of, of a just God. You know, uh-huh. um, and so it it it, it comes down to basically humans. You know, like they talk about how in Genesis it talks about God made man in His image and likeness. And it really sort of went the other way. You know, man made God in their image and likeness. Yeah. And uh, so then, I mean, you're, you're left with an ideal. Your concept of God is some sort of an ideal. And so then you try to see other people who share that idea and you get you get a, a religion or a church, you know. But then you got to try and convince, make, work out all the other things that don't make sense. And so you, you figure something out. So if you think of, you know, you've created a God, an ideal God, who is a real just judge and demands justice for everything that's that's wrong? Um, well, then you got to figure out a way to deal with that, and just so you do, you may want to do penances. Then that's the way a just guy would take care of. And then if your ideal is a totally loving God, who just forgive everything and nothing you do is going to make any difference, you become you know um, a big conflicts in the church about whether or not you could be saved by faith alone. Or whether you would be saved by faith and good works, and those are the two concepts of of God is what you what you had, and you end up with different religions. You had the Protestant religion that says faith alone is enough, and then back again we're talking about you know centuries ago, the the traditional Catholics said, well wait a minute, 
faith alone is not enough. Otherwise, you could do say, oh, I believe in God, and you know, then go out and, and shoot a bunch of kids, you know? Mm-hmm. But I believe God's there. I believe in God. Well, the faith alone is not enough in that concept, if, if that's your concept of God. You know, if your concept of God is, is a just God as well as uh, a loving God. So people have fought over all these things for a long time. Now, there is where you would be getting into some kind of dogma. The stuff in this church was just, in this movie, was just practices. Uh, that that people have put together, you know, okay. administrative rules, not anything that's essential. So, what would be a better title for it than dogma? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, just random church laws. Well, it, it's how about church practices? Church you know? practices, but church in the sense of the formal church, not in the right. sense of the. The theological sense of church is the gathering of people who share a common belief. Mm-hmm. That could be it. But, I mean, the church practices are the ones that, you know, get written down and are taught to people, you know. And I guess church practices doesn't have the same ring as dogma. No, it doesn't. I mean, it wouldn't catch the same. I mean, whoever put that together there was great. You know, it's just, but it wasn't a theology movie. It was a comedy, for God's sake. I mean, it was, mm-hmm. it, it was fun. Mm-hmm. It wasn't meant to be, you know... Uh, to point out all the the, the foibles of, of the Catholic religion or Christianity or of any religion altogether. I mean, it was meant to just have fun with some, you know, crazy concepts and point out, it's like saying the emperor doesn't have any clothes. Yeah. Know. So, so I mean, I, I know at the time there were a lot of, you know, like Catholics who were like, well, you know, I mean, basically saying what you were saying, like, they're just poking fun at the Catholic Church, and obviously, you know, just like with anything, there are problems, and you gotta, you know, laugh at some of the stupid things that we do, but that doesn't mean that it's, like, anti-Catholic. Exactly. Um, at the same time, I also remember, because apparently, I'm assuming they still do this, like, I don't know if they have, like, a publication or something, like the Catholic newsletter or whatever, but they actually have, like, a thing where they rate movies like based on how yeah they did i think that's long long gone i don't know if it's that long gone because i remember they did it for dogma and they gave it a and like an f or whatever it is probably condemned yeah but again that was that's that's some i mean that wasn't even well even an official thing that 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 when you talk about the catholic league this thing was called the legion of decency okay and uh Mostly it had to do with uh, well, it's sort of like what, what the Hollywood rating system is now. You know? Yeah. But it was, there was one for general audiences and one for adults only. And then there was um, stuff that uh, nobody should see. And then the, the awful one was condemned. You know, you shouldn't even, and, and somebody made up the rule. If you want to see a condemned movie, then you committed a sin. But oh. again, that was somebody's rule. That was not anybody... <laughs> You don't find it. They don't talk about movies much in the Bible. You know, I don't no. know if you noticed that, but they yeah. don't. They don't have a lot of, to say about that. Okay. Uh, so I. So okay. So um, I, I can't remember if this was condemned or just I didn't know that there was like a don't. Oh, no the, one yeah, see there was this like I think there were like condemned. four. And I can't remember what was. It, it the was other probably. one would be something like an. Oh, oh, I can't remember what it was. There was a a one yeah a one was adults a was general audience no it was g 
Oh, I don't remember what they were. <laughs> that was right, a long we'll, time ago. We'll have was to, when I was a kid in grade school that we did that. They, they, they might have still be around someplace. But. I think they're still around, but nobody really uses them, you know, but yeah. whatever. I just remember it came out because, you know, people were like, oh, well, here's what the Catholic grading system gave Dogma. They gave it a failing grade, you know. Um, so that, that's that's interesting. Because um, they weren't respectful. I guess, yeah, I guess they weren't respectful. Yeah, okay. Um, so, so let's let's take a look at some of the other things in that. Well, well, first off, first off, is there... Okay, so Bartleby and Loki could have been confused. Theoretically, they could have thought that this would have wiped the slate clean and gotten them into heaven. Um, but presumably, God would have known that that was not the case, right? But God was in a coma... So I guess the question is: Would is it possible that um, what's the guy Metatron, the voice of God? Is it possible that he wouldn't have known? Were they, is it possible that like everyone in heaven would have been like confused by this, or would someone in heaven, someone in the choir of angels, been like, "This is we don't have to worry about this. This is not a big deal. They're not getting to heaven." <laughs> That's like saying, "What is the?" I mean, <laughs> in your it's estimation, so far from reality. Okay, but in your estimation, within the context of the movie, if you were talking, I mean, traditional Catholic, the angels would certainly know what's going on. Okay, they would not. They wouldn't be worried. An angel is, you know, supposedly a step above humans, as we created this this cast of characters, and so they would not. Have any concern whatsoever? God would not be playing skee ball. Yeah, uh, what, you don't think God would be playing skee ball? I don't think God would play skee ball. I think God, you know, uh, you know, the concept of God is as a spirit for one thing. So that you know, wouldn't be in. She wouldn't be in the hospital. So she, she could. So she else. couldn't take human form. Well, of course, she. I mean, presumably she could. I mean, that's what Jesus was in human form. Okay. Because they said yeah. she takes human form once a month to go to play, play ski ball. ball. Yeah, you know, which is, you know, I mean, it, when you think of a God who's somebody who's all-powerful, that God could do that. Of course, then you have to wonder, well, what kind of a God who's all-powerful has all the evil that's going on in the world? I mean, see, your concept of God and what the attributes of God are depend on what your idea of God is. Uh-huh. And uh, when you've already got, you're stuck limited by, by human you know, frailty in concepts, that's restrictive. But within the official concept of God, you know, God could do that if there was a good reason, but why, you know, if if that were the case, if God were going to take human human form and go play skee-ball, God would not end up in a hospital either. Okay. Okay. Okay, so... Okay, so getting back to the plenary indulgence thing, let's just play this out as if everything in the movie happened, but the reality is what it is, you know, in the in the church. So let's just say that all the choirs of angels, no one in heaven, no one anywhere, like, stepped up and said, well, actually, this isn't going to get them into heaven, okay? Then if they hadn't saved god at the last minute and she hadn't come to stop them from getting into heaven or or, 
you know, uh, Bartleby in particular, mm. if Bartleby would have walked through those doors and then killed himself, or well, walked through his doors and then been killed, it wouldn't have mattered. He still wouldn't have gone into heaven. Not if he had been banished from heaven. I mean, but, but yeah. I mean, we're talking about fantasy stuff here. I mean, that's well, just, no, I understand that we're talking about fantasy but stuff, but we're trying, we're trying to come up with the logical consistency in the it's, story. It's not supposed to be logical. It's supposed to be funny. Well, I mean, you it can, can be fun and stuff. But you can be funny and still work from a, from a you know, I, I'm well, just okay. saying. All right, right? I suppose. You know, but I mean, okay. but see, but then you've got to put the whole thing in crazy kinds. You can't just take the, the plenary indulgence thing. You've got to take the whole concept. Is, is the papal authority strong enough to, to have that occur? No, I don't know. I wouldn't <laughs> think so. I mean, there's nothing infallible about saying that there's a church gets a plenary indulgence. I mean, even the church doesn't talk about that. So you got to go all the way back to the septum. Say so you're going to get a plenary indulgence because this church has been blessed or something. Well, who says that that warrants a plenary indulgence? Sure, the, the church administrative structure might say that, but that doesn't mean that that's what is in reality. Okay, okay, okay. So, so, so let's say you were writing this movie, right? Okay. And you were like, okay, the idea behind it, the premise, is that two angels who have been banished from heaven have found a loophole which will get them back into heaven. What would you use as the loophole? Is there something that you can think of where it would be like, you know, they could do it. Like, this is how they would, if they wanted to do it, this is how they would do it. I I can't even wrap my head around the concept of angels being banished from heaven and then trying to get back in and finding some way to, to trick God into letting them in. I, I, even with all of the, you know, visions of God and ideals of God and and administrative rules of the church, I don't know what would have worked for that. Okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, theoretically, yeah. I mean, within the concept context of of the film, sure, because they're they're positing that if the Pope says something that that's infallible, that 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 works right because there was that line, whatever you, you know. Bind on earth will be bound in heaven and every loose. So you're saying that that doesn't work? That's not. Well, I mean, it again, a lot of that stuff was written in order to justify what they were believing and what the stuff was to start out with. I mean, I guess I'm not really looking for like um, what the reality of the situation is because I mean. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's not the real situation. So (laughs) it's. but, But I guess what I'm saying is like within, like if you look at like. You know, Catholicism as a mythology, the same way that I look at like Star Trek as a mythology. And like you look at like Star Trek 2009, and you're like, okay, Spock goes back in time to right before Kirk is born, and he creates an alternate timeline, and then we're going to go forward, and we see, okay, well, Uhura does this, and whatever does this, and now Chekhov's on the ship, and you're like, why is Chekhov seven years younger? Why, why does it, what happened which caused his parents 
to have a kid seven years, you know, earlier than they had originally or whatever. You know what I'm saying? So, like, in the context of Catholicism, you know, like, when, you know, the stuff that, like, like when you're telling, like, the story of Catholicism to, like, your, your former parishioners or whatever, like, how, do, like, does it fit? in that you know not in like the like well there's some problems with the story of catholicism and and i mean sure there's probably contradictions all over the place and stuff like that but like if you were to talk to you know like i was going to say like a, a catholic priest <laughs> um and be like you know okay well given what you know about catholicism to be true like does it work then like okay so the papal sanction thing like, that's a thing which is, like, a real thing. Like, in the story of Catholicism, that tracks, right? There, Yeah, there have been, yes, them, you know. They made money selling those things. <laughs> I mean, I'm not talking about the reasons behind but, it. I well, mean, yeah, like but, the reason why Spock so, has the idic well, infinite diversity it, and infinite it, combination symbol is because Gene Roddenberry wanted to sell it on his mail order catalog. I mean, that's the reality, right? Yeah. That's always what it is. It's always about money. But for, for regardless of that, it's still a part of the continuity, you know? Well, see... Within the if you accept the, the the basis of the movie within the continuity of the movie, it, it, it it's fine. But in terms of the reality of the, of the church, it, it it's from the beginning it's it's mistaken. It's not accurate. Okay, you know. And I guess that's what I'm asking. Like, if you know, in in the same way that you know, like. Uh, um, you know, John Favreau has come in, you know, creating the Mandalorian and trying to fit that into Star Wars continuity that George Lucas created, you know, 20 years ago or whatever. Does, does dogma fit inside the Catholic canon? Or are there oh, two, the, you know? The canon, yeah. I would say not in the, in the canon. There's just too many things that are not... That would not ever have have occurred. One thing, um, I mean, the Catholic concept of of God and of I mean, the Scion is an artificial concept in itself too. I mean, it's. You but know, it's, but I guess I guess here's the thing, right? Because like, because there's also like the idea of retcon, right? Retroactive continuity, like, oh, you know, uh, Wolverine is Weapon X or whatever, uh, something like that, something along those lines. So, like, based on what we know, like, even though the Scion may not be in the Bible, like, does it fit? Could you say like? Oh, like if they came, like if if you know they came out with a sequel to the Bible, like the the you know newer Testament, and said like, well, there's this sign. Like, is there anything, you know, like like in in Jedi in in Return of the Jedi, like Luke asks Leia what she remembers about her mom, and she's like, oh, well, she was sad but kind, and you know, I she died when I was very young, and it's like, yeah, she died when you were like two minutes old, you know, you don't remember anything about mm -hmm. her because it, later on, and it's like, well, that doesn't work at all, but there's other things where you can make it fit, so like, is there anything to contradict the idea that, you know, uh, uh, Joseph and Mary had other kids, for example? 
I don't, there's nothing that talks about it at all, period. So, so, so they could make it fit. That's like a gap where you could tell another story. Sure, I suppose you could. I mean, uh, it's like they said, everybody says, well, you know, Mary was a virgin. Well, that's that's considered a, a, a core belief. But, you know, were there other kids involved? I mean, it, that would not be consistent with what is the common Catholic understanding, but doesn't mean that it's... But it's not in the text. No, there, there's no okay. reference to that in any place in the text. Okay, so so that could happen. There could be but, a descent. But see, you keep in mind that when you're talking about the Catholic religion, you're talking about a lot of stuff that was added after Jesus was no longer on this earth. Well, I guess you that's know. another part of it, right? And that's another thing to, to consider in the whole thing, right? Because you could say that Catholics got it wrong, like in the continuity, right? Like, there's nothing to say that everything, that, you know, because it's dealing with Catholicism and it's dealing with, you know, certain things being facts. But you could say that Catholicism got things wrong. Of course. Okay. Absolutely. So in that context, if we if we maybe eliminate the Catholicism angle and we just look at the book, does that fit? Like, could the plenary, plenary indulgence work? I'm not sure what book you're talking about. Like the, the Bible. There's no reference to indulgences in the Bible, period. But, okay, but, so, okay, so so it could be that, that that's how it actually works. I but that's not, that, that's not yeah. what it is in the... It's not, in that's not, would not be considered approved okay. teaching or... Okay. Rules, but so so um no. okay so what about some of these other things like um okay now Rufus the 13th apostle there's no reason why there couldn't be a 13th apostle and and actually there so theoretically in the, in the acts of the apostles which is supposedly what happened in the church right after you know Jesus left the earth um they did pick someone to replace Judas so that there would always be 12 really but who knows why? There was like a Shemp apostle? <laughs> well, I mean, it would have been someone who was not one of... See, the 12 were the ones that, again, the church, just interpreting the history, that the 12 were the first bishops. Okay, so they were the ones who were in charge of the church. And when Judas was, you know, off his way and committed suicide... They took somebody to take his place, so they picked another follower, another disciple. And, and they never name him? Yeah, I'm thinking it was Matthias, I think was his name. Okay. It's, it's okay. in the Exodus Apostle, I don't remember. I think okay, it's Matthias. Okay, so they do name him. Yeah. Okay. And so but, so he became Judas's replacement, and he had all of the authority of, of an apostle, which basically gave him the right to be put to death, because that's what happened to all of them, I think. Theoretically, but you know. oh yeah, that's what happened to Rufus too. It, that's so weird because I mean that's like literally what still happens in these like big continuities today, right? I mean, like th th there's always like replacement, whatever. I mean, Captain America, right? I mean, right now they just announced a new Captain America movie with the new Captain America, right? And they were doing that even back then. Wow. Well, they're, they're trying to keep in mind that, you know, in the early days of the church, nobody could read or write even, for God's sake. There were very few people who could even do that. Yeah. And uh, 
So everything was was oral teaching and stuff, and you're trying to convince people. So you try and you make stories. Everything is stories, mm-hmm. and it's it's you know parables is the way you say it, but stuff that people will be able to understand and you get a point across. Okay, so your your point directs you toward your ideal. All right, and that's that's what you're looking toward. And then as things go on, people are interested in. Uh, They've picked up some authority. They've got some respect, and now they feel, hey, I can make some rules here, you know. And I can, uh, I can say, for instance, that we're we're not going to ever, you know, let women become priests or bishops or apostles or anything like that. Um, and there's been a number of people who have talked about, you know, Mary Magdalene as an apostle, mm-hmm. because even in the Bible there were women who were disciples who followed them, you know. So would she have been a deposit, an apostle? Well, the people who made the rules said, no, she's not. No. Mm. And that would not have fit in the society of the time. You know, that would not have been an acceptable thing. So you're trying to convince people to share your ideas and support you and recognize your authority and so forth. So you've got to, you have to uh, get a message that they will be able to understand and that will be able you know, will be supportive of what you're trying to convince them of. Yeah. Okay. And so, I mean, and it, it, it certainly wasn't just Catholicism or Christianity. Even I mean, um, virtually every religion has has had that occur. You know, that people have an ideal of some divinity of of something, and then when they try to to put it together and be able to tell the story and set up. You know rules, and then they all come along that way. You know, and they are, they end up being rabbis or imams or or uh, lamas or whatever they would be based on the the religion that it is. There's someone who has some authority, some position of of influence of some kind, mm-hmm. uh, who just happens to also share your ideas and your thoughts, and you're willing to share some authority with them and so forth. But, it's not unique to Catholicism or to Christianity. Almost all the religions have some structure, and when they get with the structure, then they get rules, and then they have to justify the rules. So you have a scripture, you know. You have, um, you know. So who says that the books are are of the Bible are, are the so-called Word of God? Well, the people who are making the rules said oh, these are the ones that we want to be the Word of God. Yeah, which they deal that they talk about that in the uh, in the movie too with Serendipity, the muse who said all the pen holders yeah. were men, and yeah, uh, yeah, I forgot about that. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, so okay, is is Metatron like an actual character, or do they no? And Seren- not that I ever, not, and Serendipity no. is not a and and Azrael. I'm assuming Azrael's not, because that's named after a character from Batman. Yeah. Well, no. Azrael is probably a Hebrew name. Anything that ends in E-L is probably, basically is probably a Hebrew name, because okay. E-L was the um, Hebrew equivalent of God. Okay. Was, um, but they couldn't, in the Jewish faith, you couldn't actually speak the name of God, so you had some sort of... Um, alias for God right. that everybody understood, you know, but wasn't his real name. But yeah, but the L part usually uh, refers to God. So like you got Bethel, which is a, a town in Israel, and Beth is the Hebrew word for like like house, uh-huh. Bethlehem. Okay, so Bethel would be the house of God, and there'd be a town named after that. 
So uh, Azrael, I don't know what Azrael stands for in, in Hebrew. I don't know that, but but with the L part, so it's something relating to to God in the name. And then and then uh, uh, Bartleby, no Loki. No, I don't. I think the only angels that are named in the Bible and they're just named as conventions are uh, uh, Gabriel announcing and. Uh, I'm not sure if, if there's Michael or not. I, I don't know. Okay. All right. But Gabriel is in the... I think there's one other one. I can't think of who it is now. But people have just given names. Just like there's nine nine choirs of angels. Oh, boy, who knows there's nine choirs of angels? <laughs> I mean, at some point, maybe in the Old Testament, they referred to choirs of angels, and then and nine was a great number. So we do nine, and then you rank them, you know, and, and you have... Seraphim and cherubim and thrones and powers and dominations and virtues and you know they just pick names that seem angelic I guess I don't know okay all right um and and then and then what about uh, the Golgothan I don't remember what that is oh, the is that poop the, monster the, yeah no it's just thrown in there no, it's, it's just it's not not a part of the no. No. Okay. All right. Um, okay. So, so um, let's let's take a look at one. There's one other thing, you know, which is uh, Cardinal Glick, right? Okay. Played by George, George Carlin. So, um, his whole thing was that he wanted to revitalize the church, and he introduces the Buddy Christ and the Catholicism Wow campaign, and. Um, I guess one of the things which I, you know, kind of thought was like weird is it seems, it seems like the cardinal of like New Jersey or whatever Trenton or whatever it is wouldn't really have the authority to do this. Is oh, that right. right? You're right. I mean, they, they, well, the bishop has the authority within the diocese, subject to what they say from Rome. Um, but a, a bishop or, or a cardinal. Of, the cardinal is sort of an honorary thing because he gets to elect the pope mm-hmm. until he gets too old to do that. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, so within the church, he can make a lot of rules, but the business about getting into heaven, that would not be, you know, a bishop's you know, prerogative to say who gets. That was the pope alone. In fact, they used the quotation from the Bible about Peter, whatever you, you know, bind on earth, so we bound in heaven kind of thing. That, that has never been referenced to anybody except the pope. Okay. I guess the Pope delegates some things to bishops, but I don't. You know, it certainly wouldn't be infallible. But I thought they said it had like a pap- a papal sanction or something, so he might have done that. I suppose could have. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but like, so so chances are like they wouldn't like. I can see like a, like a, an art like an arch or diocese or whatever it is, um, like saying like, well, we're gonna boost our marketing f- for whatever. Yeah, oh, sure. And, and that, come up with their that. own slogans and stuff. But, I mean, they probably wouldn't be able to, like, retire, like, Jesus on the cross in favor of the buddy Christ, right? No. No? You could add something. Uh-huh. I mean, like, Jesus, well, like, there's all kinds of statues of, of Jesus and, and statues of saints and everything, depictions of saints and of Jesus and apostles and so forth that are just depictions, like... Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not likely that Jesus actually was blonde and blue-eyed, being born in uh, Bethlehem. Yeah, know? yeah. 
uh, the, the people, all the artistic things that, that came up, most of them are, occurred in the Middle Ages, you know, the days of Michelangelo and so forth. So I guess if, if you know, Michelangelo were here now, he might decide a buddy Christ would be appropriate. But so so what if um, when you were a priest, the Cardinal of Chicago, uh, I forget who. Uh, well, who several. Well, Cody. Cody was actually Cody. the one that was there, yeah. 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 Did you get to meet him? I did. Was he cool? Before I went to Belgium. He was right. He would, you know, Kevin Smith would probably do a good job on Cody. <laughs> making fun of him or like he'd get along yeah. with him? No, making fun of him. Okay. I think. <laughs> I think yeah, Cody was, was was quite a character. I mean, he he did some some really good things, but he was really quite content to be the Cardinal Archbishop of Chicago too. I think he was quite happy with his position. Okay, yeah. That's don't you impression. get like uh, the the isn't doesn't your license plate get to be like number one? Not anymore, and oh. that's that's because of a technicality, which oh. is well, I mean, the number one stuff. They, the Cardinal when Cardinal Burden came in, he gave that up. Oh, I mean, yeah. Illinois did that as a courtesy because if, I think it started when Cardinal Mundelein was around. They, uh-huh. He was such an important figure, and he uh, so they gave him number one. That was fine. But the thing that changed is that now they can't drive themselves. Oh, yeah. And that's a legal, it, it's, a, it's a crazy thing, it's a legal technicality. Because in Illinois, the Archbishop of Chicago is considered a corporation's soul. And I think that Illinois is the only place that even has the concept of a, a corporation's soul, which means that he himself, whoever is in that position as being the Archbishop of Chicago, represents the diocese as a corporation. And so let's say he's driving a car and he gets in an accident and somebody gets hurt. Well, they're not going to sue the Archbishop of Chicago. They're going to sue the corporation's soul, which is all of the property of the archdiocese. It's in his name. And so you can imagine, you know, a fender bender resulting in many millions of dollars worth of damage because you go after what you could get. Yeah. So they, they don't let the cardinal drive anymore. But that's that's not a church thing. That's a state thing. Oh, you know, that is so uh, a crazy law. But it's all, you know, in that case, it's politics. I yeah. mean, there are lots and lots of Catholics voting in Illinois, you know, so... Okay. You do that. All right. So, okay. So, so, so let's say that Cardinal Cody came to you guys and were like, okay, we've got a new, we're not replacing anything, but we're adding this statue. Uh, we're calling it Buddy Christ. Here it is. What do you think? What would uh, your reaction be? All right. I can, this, this, I got a, a parallel story about this, which would be maybe comparable. Okay. Not in terms of a statue and so forth, but Cardinal Cody wanted every parish to be linked to the diocese by television so that in every parish, every parish school, there would be like a closed circuit TV channel that would just be the Diocese of Chicago and they could do classes, they could do sermons, they could do all sorts of stuff, but all on everybody in the diocese would get the same message at the same time. And so he directed that every church would have this setup. I would involve putting like a satellite dish on the church and having all the equipment. It was like an expensive proposition that every parish was going to have to come up with the money for. Okay. Now, the guy that I had as a pastor, he just says, we're not going to do that. We can't afford it. 
And as far as I know, there were not more than a very handful of pastors who defied the cardinal and said, not here, I'm not paying for that. And we did not have that, you know, satellite dish and the TV and the closed circuit channel and all that stuff. Almost every person of the diocese did, but we did not. And he never actually insisted on it. He just strongly encouraged everything else, whatever. Um, and because I was not the pastor, I wasn't involved in any of the meetings, the pastors and so forth. But the guy that I was with said, nope, we've got better things to do with our money. We've got a lot of people who don't have any money here, period. You know, we're going to, we're not going to be asking them to, to pay for this, you know, and type of trying to get tuition for their school kids and all that other stuff. So he said, no. So if, Cardinal Cody were say, hey, we're going to put a statue of Buddy Christ in every church. Um, if he paid for it, that might have been one. But there would have been individual pastors who would have said, nope. Okay. A comparable thing now is the Latin masses. Uh-huh. I mean, um, there are some parishes and some priests who really, and some parishioners who really, really love the Latin mass and they want to have their services in Latin because that's the way it was when they grew up. I, I can't say yeah, and that's how the, the language that God understands too is Latin. You know, but yeah, you know, <laughs> at any rate, yeah. but uh, Pope Francis is saying, "Hey, you know, I don't want to do this. I want people to be able to 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 pray and celebrate liturgies in a language they can understand." And so he was restricting how many parishes and every diocese can do it. The guy who's the the Cardinal Archbishop in Washington D.C was a class behind me in school, he has said they're not going to do it at all. You have to get permission to have a Mass in Latin. You can't just say we're going to offer it and have people come. And he recognized that it's going to cost them money because some of those parishes that have Mass in Latin, people are very generous. You know, They're old school, they're older people like me, and most of them have got some money, unlike me. And so they... You know, they they can be generous, and they, they put churches in their will and all that sort of stuff. And he recognizes that this is probably going to hurt the bottom line. But he said, you know, if we're serious about people praying, they have to pray and be able to understand what they're saying, that they can't, you know, just be sitting there and listening to somebody speak some ritual language that they don't understand, and there's impossible to build, you know, say like the Latin hymns because they sound pretty and things like that. But again, if you think of hymns in church that's supposed to help people pray, you don't understand what they're saying. How how prayerful is that? Yeah. So, um, well, are there any in Chicago that do the Latin masses? I think there are a couple, but all of them had to get permission to do that. They, for a while... Anything goes. If pastor wanted to do it, he could do it. And of course, he'd bring in people from all over and mm-hmm. get their money in the collections and so forth. And yeah. and some of the priests, who there's a whole bunch, of, there's a whole group of priests younger than I am, who uh, have gone back and like this traditional approach to things. You know, and they'll they'll wear the the old robes that that they used to have to wear, and they'll wear. I mean, they'll the same mass in Latin, and they'll. Try and do things the old way. You know, so in church, they even put a communion rail up there. You know, only you know pass out communion the way it used to be done. It's and so people get nostalgic and they think, "Oh, this is really nice. I feel close to God when I do this." You know, but 
So it sounds to me kind of like Latin masses are sort of like the uh, church equivalent of um, like seeing a movie on 35 millimeter instead of uh, DCP. <laughs> well, Is that, that I, be I accurate? I guess I've never, never thought of that equivalency, but uh, being bringing people closer to God or... And even again, being close to God is is sort of a strange concept, but being able to to live a moral life because there's there's a morality that goes with religion too. Everybody's you know, about dogma and orthodoxy, but there's really something called orthopraxis too, which is not just right right thinking and right beliefs, but it's also right practices. You're doing moral. You're living a moral life, and. Uh, I personally, I think that's more important than than what you believe, Seems because like you've got. I mean, how about all the people who've never even heard of Christianity? Yeah. And so, what's going on with them? You know, nothing's going on with them. Um, I mean, back many many centuries ago, people really wanted to incur- get increased church membership, so these people would be taught or told, you know, that you know. Outside the church, there's no salvation, and you've got to be baptized. Well, it didn't account for the rest of the world. And, of course, most of the people didn't know there was a rest of the world. I mean, they thought the world was flat, and there was not. Yeah. I mean, they were people of their times. Unfortunately, the times have changed, and a lot of the ideas didn't change with it. But, um, but morality, almost every culture has some sort of a moral, if not a code, they have moral standards that they preach and teach, you know, and it's not always the same as everybody else's, but nonetheless, the way you behave is significant compared to what you believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's way away from that. But, you know, in a sense, Dogma, the movie, I think, uh, got to that. that there's, there's more important things than just the technical compliance with the regulations. Right. And I think that... That message to me came through very clearly, but I'm not sure that everybody that the people in the Catholic League probably didn't get the same message out of it. You know, they yeah, no, but I, I feel like I mean that I, I mean I think that message does come through. I'm guessing that's probably why you. I mean, well, I, I think you probably appreciate it just because of the the humor, you know. No, but I did do it. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm guessing that mom appreciates it for that message because that seems to be something which she has always preached even though she still yeah. does she's she's much more of a uh a, a church sure. a church person than, yeah. than than you are and, and stuff and but she's always like she's 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 got she, she looks at the catholic church with a very critical eye yes god not so much she's just off all, all for yeah. god yeah so I, yeah i can see why why that would you know um yeah, but I also think it works for, I mean, like, for me, the reason why it works is, I mean, it, some of that stuff, I'm like, okay, yeah, okay, you have have fun with that. But to me, it's really just sort of the, the satire of the church itself, because, you know, the church yeah. has some uh, well, yes. weird things. So so go, going back to Glick now, okay, um, well, first off. Aside from like whether or not someone would put it in or whatever, what like let's just say we're taking away money, we're taking away anything like that. Just looking at it on sort of a uh, 
well aesthetic and um and and the 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 message behind the thing if the cardinal were to come to you or your church and be like here's the buddy christ um this is our new symbol would you be like cool i'm down with that or would you be like what is this what is going on what are you doing i i guess i would probably uh Ask, I'm sure quite politely, but <laughs> as I did it work sometimes with the government stuff, that was there, I would quite politely say, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. And what makes you think that this is going to help people lead better lives, get closer to Jesus? I mean, uh, it's obviously it's more contemporary, but it... I bet they wouldn't have done a focus group and come up with a buddy Christ. That's what I'm saying. So, so what if what if like it was like a, a case like um, you know a baseball team you know with the uniform like let's just say the White Sox and you know you're the starting pitcher and you could pick you know like the traditional pinstripes or the black jersey or you can go with like the 1983 throwbacks right. I feel like the Buddy Christ is kind of like the 1983 throwbacks, sort of the same um, look and, and vibe and everything. But like, if if you were like presented the the like if your church was presented with this stuff, and it, it wasn't necessarily about the change, but it was about like the alternate look, you know. And you could say like, well, we can use the cross, or we can use the Buddy Christ. Like, which would you personally pick? Like, if you saw those two, which would you be like, I'm going to go with that one, because that that seems to be more uh, in keeping with uh, the vibe that I'm going for. <laughs> I mean, that's... Why would those be, have to be the only two options? I don't understand that. I mean, well, that's even without the, right the cross now, is, not a, is not even the only option. I mean, there's all signs of statues and pictures of, of Jesus when he's not on the cross. Um, you know. But like the cross is the one that they stick behind the thing. Yeah, and, everybody, sure, they do that. And, I mean, and that's, that like ref- the, that's like the number that reflects, one. That reflects some theology, which I have a hard time with, too, about that, that Jesus had to die to save us, so that he paid a ransom like this, <laughs> that somehow God's got this, you know, this little cash register and said, okay, well... <laughs> One divine death equals, you know, eight gazillion human deaths or something. That's just. Mm-hmm. It's, but again, think of the time when it came about. You know, that was not totally off the wall because that was the thinking that, that people were, you know, used to at the time. That concept of, of justice and stuff like that. They were living in, in an era when, you know, people weren't not treated very justly. And so, the, you know, there's an element of. Wanted to get some vengeance, wanted to get some payment, wanted to get some ransom. Mm-hmm. Those are all things that people had to deal with. And so yeah, it's reflected in the religion. So um, so back to the question. But what would you're, I you're, you're the uniform? church. So, so, you know, like, just like, so they have different priests yeah. for different services, like what you'd have to do, like one or two uh, a, a I, week or something. I, you know, I, I, I and, and like, like for example, the socks they wear the eighty-three yeah. throwbacks on Sunday. They wear the City Connect South Side stuff on this. Monday. Yeah. So, like, would you do that? Would you be like, because I could see a scenario where it's like, this is the kids' mass. I'm going to give them the Buddy Christ, 
you know. No, that's absolutely true. And then, and we used to to make modifications based on who the mass was intended for. I mean, you don't use the same hymns at a wedding as you do at a funeral. You know, you don't mm-hmm. use the same prayers at a wedding as a funeral. They're different occasions, and so you you select elements of the service. Now, one of the problems with the pre-Vatican liturgy was that you had to use the same basic liturgy for everything, no matter what it was. But it was always in Latin, so people didn't know anyway what it was. <laughs> they didn't understand it, so that didn't make any difference. Uh, but yeah, there's an element of, of wanting to be relevant to what what you're doing, you know, and um, if, if people actually found the body of Christ to be irrelevant, helped them to understand Jesus... I guess I wouldn't have any problem with that. I'd really wonder what they were thinking about, though. But, okay. <laughs> okay. Was, um, but you know, I—I I mean, some of the crucifixes are really weird too, because some of them are just really gory. Yeah. Know, say, uh, and I don't quite get get that. I mean, I suppose they're, they're trying to get across a message. Then you have the other abstract crosses, which don't even have what's called the corpus, the, the the little statue that's attached. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. the cross itself. It's a reminder of yeah. of that. So. I mean, and there always have been, I guess there always will be, various depictions of, you know, elements of the of the faith. It is strange to be like, you know, here, here's Jesus. And like the main symbol that we have of Jesus is him, like, dead. That's well, very I, strange. I used to, I used to... I would I would ask people and I remember doing this when I was when I was teaching at the seminary I just had one class and I I said well, you know what would be the difference let's say let's say we did if Jesus didn't rise from the from the dead what would be the difference what would be his what of his teachings would be you know and it's hard to think of anything like that I mean but but the idea of eternal life and life after death is such a powerful thing for so many people and throughout the world. I mean that's a key element of of the stuff, but yeah, but yeah, the resurrection should be the symbol rather than the the cross, as far as I'm concerned. That if you really want to get people to accept, you know, the importance of life and 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 you know, making life good for people, that you know, you don't worry about the death part of it, the sacrifice. But that would be my interpretation. Over the hundreds of years, that's not the one that got popularized within the church you know i mean it's just like the it, it's the way you know like star wars empire strikes back the dot the dark one the one where they, they fall that's the one that's good that's the one that people remember people don't think about jedi well you're right people don't but, like the ewoks and going back to the church thing you know the, the concept of, of penance and suffering is it worked its way into the psyche and it's really powerful I don't know if you remember when we were up in Montreal one time, and there was this big cathedral with all those steps going up, and uh, and there were mostly women, as I recall, probably I think only women, who were crawling up the steps on their knees, you know, which is not an easy thing to do. And that that basilica in Montreal is just big and way up on that hill, and but. But that was penance for them. They were mm. going to suffer so that they could atone for their sins and for everybody else's sins, for their brother's sins or their father's sins or their kids' sins or whatever they were going to. Because a certain amount of suffering would make it balance the scale a little bit. Okay, okay. So 
going back, well, first off, a side thing, just because we were talking about uniforms, and I've always been curious about this, but, like, I know there's, like, different robes for different occasions, like, in Lent, you wear purple or something like that, right? Um, is there, like, a formal, like, code, and it's like, this one has to have, like, that P thing on it with the X or whatever, or is it really something where, like... Like in Apollo 13, where, like, the guy's wife makes the vest for him for each mission. Like, could you just be like, okay, this one needs to be purple, but I'm going to put my own spin on it, my own flair. What I did, and most of us, when I went from a vein to this, we had a basic sort of a white with a chasuble was the main robe, okay? And then with the sole would be the scarf that goes around, yeah. and that would change. We'd change the colors on that, depending on... And, and the color, again, this is centuries-old tradition of these colors. Um, the purple was the color of, of, of pendants and stuff like that. It was, you know, subdued. Um, red, like blood. So when you're celebrating a feast of a martyr or Good Friday, you wore red. Um most of the time it was green, which is a symbol of hope, you know, new life coming up, grass and plants and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So that most of the year was, was green. And a lot of it reflected agricultural, you know, economies and so forth, because most of the church was agricultural. People worked in the fields you know, they didn't go to school. They didn't have office jobs. They they lived around the, the harvest and the planting and all that other stuff. Um and then white was just sort of a general celebration thing. So that would be right for Christmas and Easter and stuff. And then they used to have, and I think some churches, some priests are now bringing it back, they used black for funerals, the mourning. Uh, that sort of was discouraged, you know, after Vatican II came along and said, hey, you know, if you're actually believing in, in heaven, eternal life, then it shouldn't be a time of mourning. It should be an occasion to just celebrate the life, the new life. So they would use white then for for funerals. Like they always use white. And now I said, now there are some priests who are back using black. I mean, it's not a strictly enforced rule or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think it ever was strictly enforced. Ever, ever, ever. Uh, well, I shouldn't say ever, 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 because, again, we're talking about centuries of history to this behind it. But in my lifetime, it was never strictly enforced. It was just the custom that, you know, certain Sundays it would be green, certain sides would be white, certain sides would be purple. So so you had like four colors essentially and it would pretty much be dictated by like there was never like a like I wanna wear blue today. No um I suppose occasionally you know, people could defy the, the tradition and then set it up. I mean it was a tradition. It wasn't a set rule or you know, yeah. pain of sin or anything like that or but, um but you so, you didn't do any of that. No, because the people weren't expecting that. I mean, if, if I went out wearing wearing blue, I would say, "What's blue? Why are you doing that?" You know, it, because it's different. And it, then it would create more questions and concerns that would be needless. You know, and say, "Because well, I, I think it goes better with my eyes." You know, that's just a stupid reason to be wearing it for for a ceremony. You know, I mean, if you want, you're talking about what you're going to wear to go to out to dinner or something. That's that's one thing. But although to be fair, you basically wear like two great sweatshirts and that's pretty much it you know don't you think it goes with my eyes yeah no i mean it it works it works for you i remember like one time i mean like you're a huge socks fan and one time like i got you a socks sweatshirt and you're like thanks and i have never once seen you wear that sweatshirt (laughs) you just stick with your gray 
or whatever. Yeah. Right now you got your, you know, George Lucas uh, plaid red. Oh, oh yeah, thing George going and I, on. we we uh, text each other every day to see what we're gonna wear. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's always the same. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, so going back to to Glick, um, I guess I guess I have two two more questions for you there. Um, uh, the the blessing of the driver. Um, <laughs> Jesus, that I was mean, so hokey. Oh God! But but I mean, it, it seems a, like a fairly realistic thing to to happen, right? No. I mean, I've got to imagine. I mean, I'm assuming that when you were playing softball, you never blessed your no, no, because never did that, yeah, and you weren't a very good hitter. So that yeah, would make well, sense. you're right. But you know, but your glove maybe no glove. Well, we played 16, so we didn't use the glove. Okay, so, so you didn't use the glove. So, um, so you didn't bless anything. No, I did not bless anything. But but like, can you? I mean, do you know? There's probably guys that you know where you're like the, you that know, guy did it. I know that guy did it. I you know I don't. I can't really say this. Normally, the blessing would be, people would say, "Would you bless?" And normally, it'd be like a prayer book, or oh, I'm sorry, they they would ask, "Could you bless this prayer book or the set of rosary beads or something like that?" And I would, I always sort of change it and ask for a blessing on the people who are going to be using the prayer book or rather uh, yeah. the object, you know. Yeah, yeah. But, but but like that, okay, so that's like someone saying like, can you bless this prayer book, right? But what I'm saying is like, did you work with anybody who was like, I'm going to bless this driver? No, never. You really never. don't think so? You you really don't think there's any, any priest who you worked with who was like... I'm Not gonna... any priest that I work with. No? no? Okay. I don't think so. Okay. Um, then uh, I, I guess my other question is, um, from the little that we see of Glick in the movie... Because um, it seems like there's, to me, there's good things and bad things. Like the idea of, you know, like, you know, Christ didn't come here to give us the willies. He came to help us out. He was a booster, you know, like that kind of thing. Like, I see that as being good. But then there's also the whole, like, you know, um, well, blessing his driver and, you know, all that stuff. Um, so uh, do you think, from the little that you've seen of Glick, do you think you would have been cool with him or would you, you just been like i can't <laughs> no. deal with this guy no but i have to say i did think of of um well cardinal cody is dead now so it's hard to, to talk about him and, and be respectful but he i one thing that i remember about i i met with him in his office when we were going to when we were being sent to levain to study okay and one thing i remember was he was just all taken up with his phone. He had this big phone with all these different buttons, and he could press one button, and then it would go to his assistant, or a second button, and it would go to the kitchen, or a third button. I mean, something that everybody in every workplace had, you know, multi-line phones. But he was quite taken up with that. Uh, he was like, uh, guys, check out my phone. Well, you know, he did, he did but he... I don't know if he got a phone call or, or maybe while we were there, and but he just said something like, "This is such a neat, a neat phone." I'm really, you know, not a big deal about it, but it just struck me as sort of funny that he had people in his office. There were two of us in his office, and you know, we might just well not have been there, but that was you know, kind of like people on their phones today. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's right. It's not not a big thing, but. Um, so, 
you know, and he's the one who was pushing the whole business of the, the satellite dishes and the whole closed circuit TV network. So he was just a, a big, you know, like tech, techie nerd guy. He, yeah, okay. yeah, he was, and he wanted. I can respect that. But using it for, for what he thought would be really good, you know, being able to get a message across to the whole diocese yeah. at one time. And this Not now you have YouTube. You could just do it like that. Well, yeah, but you know, I don't think he ever knew YouTube. No, he didn't. Yeah, and I can't imagine if he had a smartphone, but they, <laughs> he, would yeah, he would have probably loved. It, right, I'm sure you would have. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay, absolutely. All right. But uh, I, I can't really say I knew many bishops very well. I knew one, a couple of guys that I knew pretty well before they became bishops, and I can't imagine that it, they changed a whole lot. They were super guys then, and well deserving of being bishops, being named bishop. And I always thought those were good selections when those guys were made bishops. Those were really neat. Um, there's one I wasn't so keen on, but <laughs> well, <laughs> I okay. But. All right, okay. So uh, then, looking at the movie on the whole, I mean, I guess we uh, we never asked you like what your your thoughts are on Kevin Smith on the whole, but I think you haven't seen too many of his other movies. I don't think so. I might have seen a few of them with you, but I I can't remember them that they're particularly noteworthy in my mind for any particular reason. You probably know him most from his appearances on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, which he made uh, pretty frequently for a year or so there. Possibly, but I don't remember. He would like go around the country and like yeah, talk to people. I, no. okay. I don't think so. So so any, any uh, final thoughts on Dogma? I just thought it was really a, a funny movie and, and it was making fun of what people perceive to be the Catholic Church, but which is really not an accurate depiction of the of the Church, I think. But it was it really uh, took uh, some good uh, jabs at the parts that probably should be jabbed at. Okay, <laughs> so, all right. Along with a few things that weren't even real, but you know, were consistent and appeared to be real. Okay, okay. One last question, just to close it out. Do you know who Alanis Morissette is? By name. And wasn't she in the movie we went to see out in California? Was it uh, Magnolia? Wasn't she in that? Or sing for that or something? No, that's Amy Mann. Oh, but okay. But that's okay. Well, right. The initials were the same. Yes, the, the initials are the same, yes. She played God in this. and. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh. Kind of funny casting because it's... You know, she she's, probably she's, she's known for using her voice, but she can't. I mean, use she her couldn't, voice. couldn't remember her lines. That's why I figured that they. Yeah, you know, she, they just, yeah. So she 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 couldn't sing because, but she is a singer. Isn't it ironic? You don't get that joke, uh, don't you think? No, I didn't get that. Okay, that's but, okay because that's her yeah. song. Ironic, it's okay. Um, yes, originally it was going to be Emma Thompson. But I think there was a scheduling conflict or something. Emma Thompson could have done it. Heck, anybody could have done it, but she did. I, I guess, I guess. But you need that gravitas, right? You need someone who has that presence where you, when she comes out on screen, you're like, yeah, I can see her as God. Like like a, like a, like a celebrity, like Alanis Morissette. But I guess that didn't It didn't connect. strike me. Didn't no, for me, it didn't. But I mean... Okay. All right. Well, well. Thanks for uh, for for joining us today. Thanks for the insight on uh, the the uh, the technical aspects of of the movie and and the Catholic Church and everything like that. And keep um, in mind that this is just stuff that was many many years ago in my life, and a lot of stuff could well have changed between now and then. But yeah, 
Okay. Well, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, whatever. It's sure. You know, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, I mean, the churches have been around for like two thousand years. You know, they probably take and like baby steps. Yeah, it doesn't they're do stuff really, quickly. They're not really the most progressive organization. They don't do a lot world. of stuff quickly. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, well, well, thanks for that. Thanks for uh, for being a priest and, and giving us this info. And then thanks for not being a priest. <laughs> and giving uh, us you. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate that a lot. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess if they ever make a Dogma 2, we'll have you back on to uh, talk about oh. that. Unless you want to talk about yoga hosers. Uh, no, I don't oh, oh, know yeah, anything about that. That's okay. That's okay. Well, that was fun talking to my dad about dogma and church and everything. A lot of that stuff is stuff that I, I never knew. Um, very, It's a very weird thing because, like, I was raised Catholic, mm. but, like, my mom was the religious one and my dad was just sort of like, 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 I, 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 let me let me tell this story here. Yeah, and and and, and Marcelo is sitting here with me. Hey. Hi, Marcelo. Uh, hey, yeah, I'm Marcelo. Good to see you. So, <laughs> Good to see you. So, 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 like, this is there, there was this one time after I had stopped going to church, um, where my my dad and my sister were debating whether to go to the five o'clock mass on Saturday night or the seven o'clock mass on Sunday morning. And they were <laughs> like, Oh, I don't want to go tonight at five o'clock. We got the thing. And then we have to do this in the dinner, but you know, seven o'clock tomorrow morning Do we really want to wake up that early. And they're going back and forth about this, like crazy. And I'm just sitting there like listening to this crazy conversation about them debating when to go to church. And I'm like, guys, 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 if you don't want to go, I won't tell mom. <laughs> and then my dad just kind of looked at me and laughed and said, we'll go to uh, Saturday night. And I'm like, okay, fine, whatever, you know? But, yeah. like, that's the thing is, like, he was the priest. Yeah. <laughs> I've never once heard him talk about, like, religion in, like, a... Like spiritual way, so it only took doing a podcast to to hear that, right? Yeah, like, yeah, uh, and he does, and it, 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 I don't know. It was a very strange conversation, as I'm sure you just heard, yeah. um, <laughs> listener, <laughs> listener. Um, I haven't heard it yet. I'm, I'm eager to hear it later, but I it, can't it's, wait. It, it's, I mean, just the vibe that I I got from it was like, you know, I, I like the whole time I'm trying to figure out, like, does he believe this stuff or not? Mm -hmm. Like, I honestly don't know. Mm. And I'm, I'm very curious still. You gotta, he, you gotta bring him back now. <laughs> for, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because like he never, I never flat out asked him, but he never flat out told me. Like my mom, like she totally believes. She is very fond of saying, "I can't wait until you die, <laughs> so that when you get up to heaven, <laughs> I can say I told you so." Wow. And I'm like, thanks, mom. That's really nice. <laughs> In a very loving way. I can't wait till you die. <laughs> it is a very loving way, but mm -hmm. she's all in. She's all in on the the religion. My dad, he may be all in, but he doesn't say shit about it. So mm -hmm. um, anyway, 
very strange. Regardless, there's one thing that I want to say because I, I like telling these these stories of like you know where where I, I discovered these movies and whatever. And with Dogma, it is a very strange story because um, you know the movie it was delayed forever and then it finally came out in um, uh, 1999, late 99, I think October, and um, there. I had just started working at at the movie theater at that point in time and they had I found out that they had these exhibitor screenings where they show um you know movies to uh theater owners essentially like um a couple weeks in advance to mm-hmm. see whether or not they want to play the movie and you know now those things are like locked down tight but at the time like in 1999 it was like you basically just show up mm-hmm. and and watch the movie yeah and my manager you know told me like they're doing this and i'm like oh my god you have to take me i have to go please please take me yeah. and he's like yeah 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 i'll take you that's cool and he's like i'll come by and i'll pick you up it's like a 10 a.m show he's like i'll pick you up at like nine we'll go there it'll be all good i'm like that's amazing this is gonna be the best thing ever so nine o'clock rolls around he's not there Nine oh. fifteen rolls around He's not there. Oh, no. 9.30. I'm, like, trying to call him, but, like, nobody has cell phones or anything, uh, right? Uh-huh. Like, 9.35, he calls me up, and he's like, Mike, I'm on my way. I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay, I'll be ready. And then he pulls up, and I jump in the car, and I swear to God, I don't know, like, it's rush hour traffic in the city. He's weaving in and out of cars going like 75 miles an hour. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. This is the worst thing ever. Like, we're going to die trying to see Dogma. <laughs> and we get to the theater at like 9.59, and we burst into the to the doors and uh, for some reason all the lights are off and we're like we're here to see dogma did you start it yet and they're like no the power is out uh, we're like what? what and they're like yeah the power is out it's you know we can't watch the movie I'm like, oh my god! So you know, uh, the, the the manager was like, "Screw this, let's leave." And I'm like, no, "Can't we just wait like 15 minutes? We've come so far. We've risked life and limb." And then the power came back on. Oh, miracle! Yes, a miracle. <laughs> It was a miracle, yes. And then they were building the movie, and that was the first time I met my uh, my 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 film booker, who I now work with on a daily basis. Who's uh, now? I, I mean, now he's a, a crotchety old man. But even twenty three years ago, uh-huh. he was a crotchety old man who you know has seen way too many movies and is really really jaded and you know whatever and I remember sitting there he was sitting there eating popcorn and I was standing next to him in the lobby while we were waiting for the projectionist to get this movie ready and it was just the two of us sitting there in awkward silence and I was like, so have you seen this movie and he's like, I've seen parts of it. <laughs> And I'm like, is it any good? And he's like, eh, it's supposed to be a comedy. Oh. And I'm like, okay. Well, this was a fun conversation. And I have to say that pretty much every conversation I've had with him since has been exactly like that. <laughs> what, what a strong way to start a relationship, a friendship. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, for sure. For sure. At a screening of dogma. <laughs> At a screening of Dogma. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he has no memory of that whatsoever, but that's okay. Um, you know, 
<laughs> Still love you, Lou. Yes. Uh. Okay. Anyway, that was Dogma. But after Dogma, um, that, that, well, there was a, there were a few other like little things in this time frame which Kevin Smith was working on before the release of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, his next movie. And you know, th- there were a couple things which were, I guess right before dogma actually which i did not have access to for our chasing amy episode but i've since tracked them down and they are commercials that kevin smith made for major corporations huh i i don't think i know this mike i'm sure you're gonna talk about it right now i'm gonna talk <laughs> and, and I, I would have sent you links but like it's behind a paywall like oh, okay. kevin smith's paywall you know um but he's got him up there which is cool the the first ones which i had never seen before were these commercials that he did for diet coke mm. and i had always heard like oh he's, he did diet coke like what's that like you know i i remember some diet coke commercials is that it uh-huh. I've never seen these things before, and wow, wow, wow! I don't understand them. Well, they're yeah. Tell me about because I, I I I would hope my initial thought of like you saying that's like well maybe there's some Kevin Smith maybe he found a way to make them distinctly his because hey David Fincher can do that in commercials, right. Tony Scott, you know other people can do that. Can Kevin Smith do it? Did he do it? He didn't do it with Diet Coke. Um, <laughs> it, it, so so there's basically there were six commercials total, like two sets of three mm-hmm. that sort of made a story. And in the first one, it's like a guy, like a middle aged guy with his like seven-year-old daughter mm-hmm. at the zoo right and he's basically trying to explain how sex works to her okay you know okay like he's like you know there's so there's a guy and there's a girl and then there you know there's the moon and the stars and they look up at the moon and the stars and you know they like love each other <laughs> you get it and she's like no, you know, and then like like that's it. They do that essentially like three times, and then fin- finally like you know like at the end he's like uh, you know they do it one more time and he's like you got any questions and she's like can we go see the monkeys and he's like yeah yeah let's go, which is actually having just watched Jersey Girl, it's very similar to the conversation that they had in that although not nearly as well done. Like you're watching it and you're like. I mean, he's holding a Diet Coke the whole time. Yeah. But it's like, what does this have to do? Like, it's not even clear what's going on, really. They're they're at, they're at the zoo just talking about sex and animals yeah. or something, and then they're holding a Diet Coke, and that's it? it? Yes, that's it. It's oh. so weird and awkward, and it doesn't work at all. So he, he did this in the middle of uh, Dogma and Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, right? Uh, well, I, I think so. I, I I remember seeing a clapper board for it. I think he probably shot these right after Chasing Amy. Oh, came right out. after Chasing Amy. Okay. So before Dogma. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So that so that was one, and then there was another one which actually had um, that guy uh, Mike Starr, who's okay. It he's in he's in. Um, Jersey Girl, he's also in, like, Ed Wood and, you know, a bunch of stuff. One of those guys where you're like, oh, that guy, you know? Yeah, yeah. And he's, like, a dad, and then there's a mom, and then there's, like, an adult kid. And 
basically they're like interrogating this kid and saying like, you know, oh, did you get the job? And they're like, it's your dream job. Did you get the job? And he's like, no, I didn't get the job. Oh, why didn't you get the job? Oh, well, someone else got the job. Oh, screw that job. You're, you're, you're too good for that job. And then there's like a second one where it's like, hey, you dating that girl? Oh, yeah, she's great. Oh, man, I love that girl. Are you dating that girl? No, I didn't. Why not? Oh, well, she's busy now because she got a job. Really? What job did she get? She got the job that I was going after. Oh, well, you're too good for that girl. Like, they do that like three times, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. And those work slightly better, but, but like there's some rhythm to them and stuff. Yeah, but it's essentially like the other ones where they do all this and they're just holding a Diet Coke. Yes, like in this, in these two, they're like in a kitchen, and the and the kid is drinking a Diet Coke. It does feel like, I haven't seen them, but it feels so brazenly '90s, like sort yes. of like a blase, like we're gonna we're gonna do this like little talky thing and. It may all seem non, you know, may not seem relevant to what we're selling, but we're just going to have, which is the whole we're selling just there. It's just going to be in the, there in the shot. We're not going to mention it. And yeah, it, it feels very 90s, Mike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, the other ones that he did, which would have been after this, but like still like right, probably right before, well, about a year before Dogma came out, um, they, they were for Nike. And, Originally, it was supposed to be... What's the guy's name? The guy who directed Brown Bunny. Oh, uh, Vincent Gallo? Yeah, Vincent Gallo. Yeah. So he was supposed to star in these commercials. Wow. (laughs) But apparently, he had a scheduling conflict, and he backed out. So he was like, well, I've got Jason Mewes sitting right here. And he gets Jason Mewes to star in these commercials. And these are very much sort of like more Kevin Smith things where like, they're like, check out these new shoes. The, the uh, Nike uh, tuned air. That was like their thing. And these shoes are, are actually, I forget the name of the shoes. I'm sorry. I apologize. But they're actually like legit. Like now they've been made as retros and stuff. Like they're in, fairly regular release right. because they've become, they were actually like really popular shoes. And, you know, the whole premise of them is like, you know, I'm protesting, uh, running because it's not fair to the ground. The ground should not be disrespected by being trampled on like this. You need to get these shoes with this tuned air cushioning so which which kiss the ground ah. so respect your best friend respect the ground right yeah. and and when you have like you know people like basically just like jogging or whatever and like Jason Mewes holding these shoes and like a protest sign like yelling at joggers for like <laughs> running on the ground I mean that is a very Kevin Smith thing to do yeah that does feel more Kevin Smith yeah it's interesting. And th- those actually work. There's like three of those. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So yeah, that, that especially with the Jason Mewes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. I I honestly don't know how Vincent Gallo would have worked there in that thing. I don't think I've ever seen Vincent Gallo in, any, in in anything. I don't think like he seems like a very serious person. I mean, not to not to bring this up, but I'm pretty sure he was just at a screening of the Brown Bunny. And he called uh, Roger Ebert like a pig or something. Uh, they they famously had a feud, <laughs> so I don't know why I'm bringing that up. You brought up Vincent Gallo, like I just literally heard him call uh, somebody said somebody was there and like he heard him call Ebert a pig. 
Well, um, yeah, I, yeah, I guess what Ebert, what he didn't like the brown bottle. Yeah, because yeah, uh, Ebert, yeah, I, and I did research on this on another podcast, but uh, Roger Ebert like infamously called you know the brown bunny like the worst thing he's ever seen at con and of course vincent gallo took offense to that and yeah they had a feud i guess all the way through you know ebert's ebert's passing and now against vincent vincent gallo still holds a grudge so yeah hey Hey. perfectly normal perfectly healthy (laughs) it's it's been 20 years let it go (laughs) vincent gallo Oh, well, okay. So, so that was that. I needed to get that out because uh, mm-hmm. the completest in me felt like, you know, whatever. And I'm sorry that I wasn't able to send those to you first, but I didn't know how. What, what's, what's, what's interesting is like, so with this project, Mike, again, this yeah. is your, this is your baby, this entire series. But uh-huh. like after all this, you're, you're, you're going to have seen all of Smith's things, right? Is that, is that, is that what's going to happen by the end of this? Yeah. In fact, well, there might be like one or two episodes of Sun in Lockdown, which I haven't seen. But aside from, I mean, these were like the last pieces of the puzzle in a lot of ways. Like, I th- I think um, there's still some Panasonic commercials, which I haven't seen. Mm. And apparently there's some Star Wars toy commercials, which are still not available anywhere. Interesting. Yeah. But... Aside from that, I've I've basically seen everything already. These Diet Coke commercials were a revelation. So, <laughs> yes. If anybody else were saying this, I'd, I'd say they were insane. <laughs> These Diet Coke commercials were a revelation. <laughs> <laughs> they were. They were. But regardless, what we're going to talk about now is... It's also a revelation. Actually, yes. Something which he didn't direct... But we, we feel the need to include because he was the showrunner for, for this thing. And that is the Clerks cartoon. Yes, the Clerks cartoon. Came out in, I mean, I guess it's kind of, it came out in 2000. Um, uh, it, it, six episodes were produced. They aired episode four, followed by episode two. And then they canceled the show. Yes. And then they released it on DVD. Yes. Uh, the, so the other episodes, I, I will say, premiered on TV two years later. I don't know exactly when the DVD came out, but the, yeah. The DVD came out before. The, the DVD came out, and then after that, I think they, they aired them on like Cartoon Network. Or yeah, something. I believe that's where the other two, I mean, the other four eventually aired on TV. Yeah. 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 So, okay. First off, the idea that this thing exists is insane. Yeah. So I, I'm happy I'm here for this talk because I think I said during my last appearance on this show where we talked about uh, Mallrats, I believe I let it slip that Clark's The Animated Series is my favorite Smith thing in the, the Smithiverse, I guess the Vioskew universe. Uh, including uh, this is including the movie, so I think this is superior than Chasing Amy, Clark's original, Clark's two, all the great stuff. Dogma, I love Dogma, by the way. But I think this is like I think it's it's I can it's in it's it's the one property that has Smith on it, the uh, his writing, you know, his performance, whatever that I can rewatch the most. It's like I had fun rewatching the episodes for this show. Um, and I had fun revisiting the commentary uh, uh, for these episodes on the DVD, um, speaking about like how this thing 
is even in existence. Like it was interesting hearing Kevin Smith talk about, and we've talked about this in the last episode too, Mike, about how Kevin Smith deals with, um, uh, 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 what's what's a good word? What's the opposite of success? <laughs> These failures, <laughs> because this is definitely a failure. Yeah, like you were saying, they aired two episodes on ABC, then they canceled it, and that was it. It was, I mean, the potential of this still blows my mind. Like they, at one point, they they could have had like a full season uh on upn and they just chose not to do that for whatever reason their mistake because they went to abc and they said you know what we'll go with the network show this is going to be great we're like on the cusp of like an animation renaissance for for network tv and primetime let's do this and now they got a super bowl ad <laughs> beforehand <laughs> all that being said they still got canceled after two episodes and smith definitely you get that from his commentary it's it's interesting hearing it now because like his other commentaries are much more like energetic and like wrote like him being like so happy with something but hearing him talk about the clerks tv show on the commentaries he's kind of toned down a bit he does feel kind of butthurt and i, I would be too because this show like i said i think it's the best thing he's ever done and he's the best thing he's produced because it's just it's amazing i love the show but yeah um and i just I just jump in and say, like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw the two episodes that aired on TV on TV as they aired. I'm pretty sure of that. Because at this point, I was uh, firmly on board with, like, the Smith train. Because, like, having seen, having seen Clerks, Chasing Amy, Dogma at this point, I'm like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Kevin Smith fan. Mallrats, I saw eventually. But around this time, I was like, yeah, I'm on board. And the two episodes, like, they, they're hilarious. I was, like, so excited to see them. And I was, like, so excited for more. And then they canceled it. And then I bought the DVD, of course, when it came out. I Yeah, since then, I've always been just a huge champion of this show. It was, like, one of the on, the... on the list of, like, shows that got canceled too early, this is, like, near the top for me. It's, like, I can't believe that we only got six episodes when it could have run... It could have still been running, to be honest. Like, it's one of those that, like, I feel could have had the juice to run for 25 years. <laughs> it's it's that good with the talent behind it for sure, which we'll get into. But yeah, that's me and Clerks the Animated Series, Mike. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I watched it when it first aired too. I remember, you know, anxiously awaiting and, you know, turning on watching that first episode, being really bummed out that they were airing them out of order. I mean, you could air episode four first. That's fine. You know, and you could argue like that is maybe the best episode of the show, but like the whole gag in episode two is that it's a clip show, yeah, with only one episode, and we <laughs> didn't see the one episode that is referencing, so it doesn't work at all. Yeah, that's that's like the beauty of this show if they let it run in the right order <laughs> is that mm-hmm. it is so self-referential right off the bat, like. Even in the first episode, it's like super referential. It knows what it is right away. That's what I love about this thing. Like within the first episode, you get it. It's funny. It's like you're on board. Like they've already. It seems already so so like on the tracks. Like you know, certain shows like maybe take a few episodes to get running. This right away, episode one, I think it's like great from start to finish. And then episode two comes along, and it does it does the meta thing like you're saying. It's it's a clip show. With it just being the second episode, it's it's amazing. It, and 
again, it's 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 all this potential. It's all this like these these smart people making this sh- this show that is just you know uh, with the Simpsons already airing and like Family Guy about to air or like I think the same year as Family Guy came out. Like, I still hate that ABC canceled this because it had so much potential. Because like you could see it off the bat with the first two episodes <laughs> in order. Mm-hmm. It's like it had something to say. It was smart. And yeah, that's just two episodes in. So, uh, Mike, I mean, d- uh, you you saw it when it first came out. Um, were you? I don't know. Like, I mean, did you? Were you just devastated when they canceled it? Because I I I know I was just like, just like why? I was like why? And and of course I followed it as it went like from canceled to like slowly being like uh. uh not not revived, but like shown again, like on other networks, like Cartoon Network, maybe or Adult Swim, like one of those things picked it up, and that's when I saw these shows over and over again. So I don't know if you did that, Mike, but like that was that that was the course for me with this show. It's like I was happy to see it like on DVD, but also happy that like it still had silver life a few years after that. I don't know how big of a life it has now. We can talk about that too, like what the fans of Smith think of the the Clerks TV show, and, what, and maybe what Smith thinks of it now. But yeah, I I liked that it has some life now after the fact. Yeah, no, I mean, I was definitely bummed that it got canceled, you know, and and you know, more than anything, I was like, well, when are we going to get to see these six episodes, which you know, or the, these four episodes, which never aired, you know, and and luckily they did get that DVD out pretty quickly. And I, you know, devoured that along with the commentaries, which I haven't listened to since. I guess I need to go back and listen to those commentaries again. Um, but I definitely was bummed out um, because there was so much potential. And I really did enjoy what I saw, even though when it first started, I was like, this is not what I really signed up for. This is not, <laughs> you know, like it was not like when they said like, oh, they're doing a clerk's cartoon. Like I had that sort of in my mind, like what that would be. And then what aired was not that, right? Yeah. And but you know, I mean, once I adjusted my expectations, I was, you know, I, I did enjoy, you know, what we got. That that's the thing about the show. It's it it's not what you think of. And they they talk about it on the commentaries. Like uh, Smith is there with like the cast and like David Mandel, who was like mm-hmm. who went on to go. Like I mean, before doing clerks before uh producing clerks like he did a lot of seinfeld episodes like he was already like like well versed in like uh uh uh, you know sitcom comedy and like great comedy then after he did this he like went on to do like he he show ran veep for a while like he was on veep so i mean uh, and hearing mandel talk with like smith about like abc and they don't say ABC directly. They just say the network. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but hearing them talk about it and their experience, it's like it's like they 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 like I said, they could have been on UPN and ran for longer, at least like a full season. And they could have done an HBO show. They could have done an HBO animated show where they would have gone like more to what you were maybe expecting seeing this for the first time, Mike. Like they would have went more raunchy. They would have ran. Would have like been a more like, uh, you know, solid R, you know, uh, cartoon comedy feel. But I'm I'm actually happy that they had an ABC show because like they worked within their limitations. It's like it is like that that gag of uh, of like like Jay 
like uh, 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 taking the fireworks and like like batting it across like at the parking lot or something. It's so innocent, yet so f- frightening. <laughs> yeah. a, a a a visual that I dig it. Like uh, uh, I don't know, it has like that like. Uh, um, it still bites, even though it is like an ABC sitcom. <laughs> so I still enjoy that aspect of it. But I totally get you, Mike. Like, it, uh, I almost wish they did go for for like HBO, like because we, we, we could have had like something like on another level. But for what it is for an ABC show, like it still has enough. Like, uh, 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 they got away with a lot considering it's like a ABC show. Yeah, they definitely did. And the thing which I found to be weird watching it this time like i have to say like watching it this time i didn't like it as much as i had in the past um i still see there being potential and everything but um (laughs) i guess more than than most of his other stuff i really feel like it hasn't particularly aged well (laughs) well that is true (laughs) um there 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 were like a number of things in there where i'm like like even at the time thinking back i'm like that seems inappropriate or whatever and and it's almost like they replaced like f-bombs with like stuff which was just like you know not appropriate at all (laughs) (laughs) like in a lot of ways i mean there were a number of jokes where i'm like is that a joke (laughs) like i don't understand how that's a joke and even if it is a joke like what why is it supposed to be funny like i don't get it you know i i I get that and like the this is not an excuse but like the 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 frame of mind i always think to myself is like well in the early 2000s i guess you know what you know what let me take that back throughout all of the 2000s <laughs> comedy if you go back and watch it now you'd be surprised of like how far we've progressed like as a society yeah. like in the right way right and yeah i i agree with you there's so much of this that doesn't hold up <laughs> that is like what are they doing like namely like having you know male voices voice you know lesbian women <laughs> say like, mm-hmm. ah! so stuff like that and also native american stuff in in some episodes um it, it it goes on and on but i don't know like it to me it holds up a little bit better than like if i go back and watch like family guy episodes or south park episodes i can't go back and watch family guy or south park from like 20 years ago i can't i think it's because it's it's not that it's like more refined and like clerks the TV show, but it's more palatable because I love the characters more and it's not as like, it's not as mean maybe. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's hard for me, but I, I, that, but this is just me just agreeing with you, Mike. Yeah. There's a lot of it that has not aged well. Yeah. I, like I see what you're saying in relation to like family guy or whatever, but I guess what, what kind of struck me is like, you know, in, in sort of like, like it's, it's one of those things where I'm not like super duper shocked that it's inappropriate, but like, I don't really find that being the case so much in the rest of Smith's movies from that era. Like there's some stuff where it's like, okay, you know, that's, that's, you know, weird, you know, or, or, or whatever, or like, you know, I mean, there's like a lot of gay jokes and stuff like that, which, you know, don't exactly, you know, work in, in any way, shape or form or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time, I feel like there's, 
like this, I don't know, awareness in his movies, which isn't present in the show. Yeah. You know what? Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. It, cause I think it's, it's just because the work, it's like the work, I guess they're working within like an animated universe, like the Simpsons, right? Where it's hard to get those. Cause like there, there's no hug and learn moments, like in any of the six episodes of the show. It's just yeah. like joke, 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 joke. And at Smith movies, I, I think this is what, this is what you're getting at, Mike. It's like, even in any Smith movie, there's like that sense of like, like, the there's a purpose like leading towards something real at least at mm-hmm. least that's, that's how i see it like even in dogma there are like these moments that like despite how funny it is or how like action-packed it can be it's like there's still those quiet moments like i think always think back with like matt damon at the end of dogma right but yeah. like with you or and then like when chasing amy of course there are those moments even mall rats has those moments too there's earnest moments i guess from smith even like i saw it in like reboot which was unexpected yeah. because I thought for the majority of that movie, it doesn't work at all. But then it has those like, those like sweetheart, like tender moments of like, Oh, there's some emotion here, but you don't get any of that in Clark's the animated series. There's none of that yeah. here. So I think that's what you're kind of getting at Mike. It's like the, it, it, and maybe it's because like, they're just soup, like they're, they're just trying to get through 22 minutes of, 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 of a show and there's no room for levity. So that's my maybe. assumption. Yeah. And, and you have, Mandel, who comes from Seinfeld, who comes from a show. That's where I got that phrase, by the way. No hugging or learning. That's a Seinfeld trope. So maybe it's Mandel who brings that to the table. It's like, let's do it this way. Let's let's just go for the comedy and not try to have any, not try to dig any deeper than that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, that being said, and you were talking about like the reaction today or whatever to it, or I, you know, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, it is sort of like one of those things which a lot of people bring up as, you know, like, oh, this is like his best stuff. You know, I mean, I just said that. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know, yeah. I know, like you say that all the time. My friend Max <laughs> says that all the time. You know, I just saw a, a number of tweets recently from, um, Brian Lynch, who, you know, of course, is the writer of the Minions and Secret yeah. Life of Pets movies, who, you know, back in the day was a buddy of Kevin Smith's, you know? I mean, he, you know, Smith produced a, an indie movie that he made for no money, you know, back before he was writing any, you know, <laughs> universal illumination, you know, $700 million grossing, you know, <laughs> blockbusters or whatever. Uh-huh. And, you know, someone was like, oh, bring back Clerk's cartoon on Hulu. And he's like, yes, yes, bring it back, bring it back. And I, I was just thinking about this the other day, but it's not, not Hulu. It's Paramount Plus because mm. now Paramount owns all that stuff. Like you want to yeah. do a high profile thing on your new streaming service, like bring it back. Why wouldn't you do that? It's not yeah. going to cost you any money. Right. Well, well, and, and, and here's the thing is it's like now just like with, you know, Seth MacFarlane stuff or whatever, like you've learned a thing or two about, you know, society and you can do, <laughs> you can update it and make it like not, you know, make it make it work for today. Yeah. With without because, like, I think the thing that that people respond to and the thing that I respond to about it is like the structure. Like, 
the the foundation is solid on this thing. Yeah. Right? Like the form is crazy and works. It's just that some of the jokes don't work, yeah. right? Which I totally see. I mean, I get it. I do think this is a funny show, but there's like room for, room for improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll just say again, like off the bat, I think it works for me right away. And I think it's the animation that really helps because the animation of this is like solid. I love every little character design. It's like I was just admiring like uh, uh, Jay's character design. It's like he's, he's like a rapscallion in the in the cartoon. He like does like these little things, these little evil things. But like he looks adorable. <laughs> I want like a little sketch of like Jay. I want a sketch of every character. But like that, as long as they bring that back, like the animation style. Yeah. And you get Smith on board. I don't know what uh, Mandel's doing. You know, get some smart writers, get some modern day, you know, uh, open it up. Like, the, it, I mean, come on. I mean, the, the, the commentary itself was like a sausage fest. Yeah. You know, bring, bring yeah. in some more diverse writers, which, which they can do. And I think Smith now, you know, having lived a life, um, oh, yeah. uh, he's more. Uh, I he's he's better. He's more he's more of a sympathetic person. <laughs> Not sympathetic. Oh, yeah. That's, there's, that's there's, the wrong word. He's he, he's more. Uh, uh, inclusive. He's more open-hearted. Like it, he, he's not. He hasn't uh, gotten gotten worse over the years. Like n- no. not that he started off as bad anyway. But what I'm saying is like, whatever you think about chasing Amy, for example, it's like that's not him anymore. Like if he were to do that type of story again, I'm sure. He he'd like be smarter about it, right? Because even he, he says himself, like, would he be the guy you you turn to now for like a story about like a LGBTQ experience? Probably not. No. But he yeah. would work to make it you know as representative as possible, right? So uh, yeah, and, and if he brought back the show, yeah, those problems you have, Mike, I think they would just like iron themselves out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they do mention it even in the show. There's this the segment where they're reading uh viewer mail <laughs> yeah. yeah and they're like jen schwalbach from whatever it is you know orlando florida or whatever why aren't there any you know women in this show at all you know <laughs> yeah. and they're just like oh whatever. and of course jen i mean for those who don't know jen schwalbach is his wife yeah who's constantly complaining about <laughs> How yeah. all of this stuff just has a bunch of dudes. <laughs> that, that's a great point. Like, like it, 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 we saw like it being addressed within the first six episodes. So imagine, yeah. like, and yeah, that's why I would have loved like even a full season run. It's like maybe yeah. they would have been, maybe they would have solved these problems you saw in the first six, first six episodes. They could have been like a rough spell because like it, a lot of great shows have like rough first seasons. I mean. They, they could have had a rough first season, you know, made some mistakes, but like second season on, they would have been on fire. So, you know, there is this this thing which I know that you're a big fan of, uh, you know, useless trinkets. Um, <laughs> and and yeah. one of the the sort of like sidebars to this show is this is where they started up the line of um, Kevin Smith in action figures. Ah. Which were essentially like three and three quarter inch figures, which they they didn't move. That was the whole point. They didn't have any points of articulation at all. They were basically just little mini statues. And yeah. the the first line of these was done in the style of the 
I mean, they were they were basically Clerks animated series figures, right? Yeah, yeah. So you had Jay and Bob and everything, and then they did like black and white versions and everything. But then they expanded on that. They did like a Mallrats line. They did a Chasing Amy line, you know, and they really kind of like went, and they were basically seeing how far they could go. And it's like you see these designs, essentially, like all of his movies in that animated series style. And it's like, yeah. God... There was so much potential there, so much right? Potential, yeah, and For, to to expand the world, and like even in like a, a modern day in like a t- contemporary interviews, I see him in. Um, I think I mentioned this in the Mallrats episode. Like he, there's like a 30 minute segment of him just talking to camera, and like he's shooting um, like in the back of like a, a secret stash. I think it's, it's what it looks like anyway. And like behind him, I'm pretty sure I saw animated series merchandise clerks show merchandise behind him because i feel like it's it, it and like i think it's his logo now for like certain things like is is those animated series like designs of the characters of jane and yeah. bob which i think is great and like oh and like we haven't touched on this like uh he did an animated little short for uh the clerk's 10-year anniversary thing right yep yeah and they they did the lost scene um where they they go inside the funeral the funeral home for the for that uh that sequence and, and that 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 got me excited. Like at that point, I think Smith was talking about doing not necessarily another season, but like maybe a movie of of, of oh, Clerks. Yeah. They, yeah, they were talking about that for a while. Yeah, an animated movie. Yeah, yep. which it throw throw that on the pile of like unrealized <laughs> Kevin Smith projects, Mike. Because I I don't know what happened to that. I don't know why he didn't end up doing it. I don't know the story. I I may have read something about it years ago. I forget, but. Uh, I, I sh- it should have happened. Something should have happened. <laughs> yep, yep. That would have been cool. That would have yeah. been cool. Oh well. Oh what well. Can you do? Yeah. So yes, uh, one more, one more Kevin Smith project. Uh, which, <laughs> Cross off the list. Know, yeah. yeah. And and hey, we still have another animated series coming up. You know, much oh, yeah. further down the road with Masters of the Universe Revelation. Um, which is a, a series which ended up being very successful and which is a series which was hated by uh, most of the fan base instead of embraced by it. And uh, for, you know, because they're, they're misogynist. And then, <laughs> um, you know, it, it's been picked up now for essentially a second season. It's got a new title or whatever. But yeah, it's essentially a second season oh, nice. of this show. So so that's pretty pretty cool. Um, but we'll get to that later on. So, all right. Should we wrap this up? Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I think right. we've covered Clerks, the animated series. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't know what else to say other than like, it's, I think it's, I, 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 I may have been jumpy when I said it's my favorite Smith thing. It's definitely, it's either one or two. That's what I'll say. Okay. All, all right. right. And number two might be dogma. Number one might be dogma. You know, it, it might switch so from day to day. This is the episode for you. Yeah, this yeah. is the episode. I, 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 I've gone on record before, and I guess like this is like a pre-plug before my plug section. But me and Marcus Irving did a dogma commentary a few months ago. Uh, that's on the Patreon, and that that was fun revisiting dogma after so long because um, I connect with it so deeply in a lot of ways, and I still think it's like Smith like on fire. It's like I think it's the best he's done in the, not necessarily directing, but like just his own 
his own uh, uh, style, I think, is like, that's what I want from a Smith movie, I think is what I'm trying to say. It's like dogma. It's like, I wish there were more dogmas. And I wish yeah. there were more Clerks the Animated Series. Because <laughs> I, I think around this time, he does hit on, he, kind of like how like the show itself is like self-referential. I think he is more aware of like his own persona at this point in his career. And I think this is an interesting turn of him doing like dogma, Clerks, and then Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. Um, it's like here, I think is like his best sort of like self-referential, self-referential era. I think after this, in my opinion, he's not as, you know, smart with it, you know, like in say reboot, uh, if one were talk, to talk about that later. Um, okay. but yeah, but I guess that's, that's me closing the chapter on this chapter of Smith. It's like, yeah, I, 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 I love the guy at this point. The series still holds up for me and yeah, that's it. Okay. Yeah. I, I, you know, one, one thing which I will just say about dogma, since I didn't really have a chance to say this, like in that very long discussion on it that we just had, um, like I've always considered that to be sort of like his worst directed movie. Yeah. And, and, and that's always been sort of a, a sticking point for me, even though I love the movie, but watching it this time, the thing that stood out to me is that even though it may be his worst directed movie, I think it's also probably his best written movie. Yeah. I, I, I think that's what I was trying to say. It's like, I think the script in dogma is, is his best. Cause I think mm-hmm. he, when he, when he has such a weighty topic, you know, it could have easily been just a, 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 a big mess, right. Of like trying to like, uh, talk about religion and uh, having like all these characters come together to, to, to juggle all of that. I think the script works. I think the script succeeds at what it's trying to do. Like I said earlier, like he is those, those quiet moments, those earnest moments, like it works. They work in dogma, like Linda Florentino talking about, uh, you know, her cup being half empty, like in her trying to have a baby and like all, all like her entire plot line is incredible. And I think it works, but yeah, I'm agreeing with you. Dogma yeah. has some shitty direction. <laughs> as like one of the worst action sequences I've ever seen mm-hmm. in a movie, like during that train sequence. Um, it's bad. But like I said, I think it might be my favorite Smith movie overall because yeah. it works despite it being, I mean, if, and if you want, and I'm not dragging him, like he does the dragging for himself. Like he says as much on the commentary for dogma, if I remember right, like he, he, he points to shots and he goes, yeah, that I fucked that up big time. Look at this. Like you, you're going to see, uh, 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 you know, uh, Jay for a split second here in one scene and they'll disappear in the next scene. So stuff like that. So even he points it out that he's not the best director in dogma. Yeah. And, and the, I mean, to me also the editing really, and, and part of it is that, you know, having watched or having read the script, before seeing the movie, I'm like, I feel everything that's missing to this day. And, you know, it was kind of like, remember the phantom edit? Do you remember that? I think so. Where someone did a fan edit of episode one and uh, everyone loved it. And the, the word on the street, the big rumor is that Kevin Smith was the, the editor who oh. did the phantom edit. I don't think I knew that. Interesting. Yeah, and he came out and said, uh, "Nope, that uh. wasn't me." And he, what he said is, um, "If I were to 
take the time to go back and re-edit a movie, it would it would be dogma. <laughs> so I, I, I thought that was kind of interesting. And, and, you know, this is something which I just kind of discovered today, too. You know, he's got his, um, essentially his Patreon. Um, and uh, one of the things that he has on there behind this paywall where you have all these commercials is... Um, he, someone, just a random dude, uh, basically stuck all of the deleted scenes back into both Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back and Dogma. Oh, and with the Dogma edit, it comes out to being like two hours and fifty-one minutes long, or something like that. Wow! And I mean, by no means is that a director's cut, but it's also something which I'm fascinated by, and now I feel like I need to watch. So, and it's something that what you just said—it's like it's it's Smith putting it on his paywall, behind his paywall. So he's like acknowledging it in that way, yeah. right? And, yeah. and, and and like the guy, so so the guy who did it, he like does a little introduction, video introduction, which I watched, and he was like, "Look, you know, we have these extended cuts on the clerks." DVD and the Mallrats DVD, you know, and I really wished we had them for his other movies. And instead we just have this deleted scenes like as extra features. And he's like, what I did just for my own personal, whatever is I put them back into the movie. I used the soundtracks that, that I had to score them and try to, you know, add some, some, um, you know, try to finish them as much as you could. He's like, you could tell you can tell exactly when it switches to the deleted stuff. But the idea is to just kind of give you a feel for what it's like. And he's like, I told that, told Kevin Smith about him. And, you know, he was like, sure, put him up. So like, I have a feeling that Kevin Smith has never even watched these things. You know, it's not like this is like, this is the thing. I think he just thinks like, that's an interesting little oddity to put on there for people to see. It should, it should also be noted. I actually haven't checked lately, but like when I did the commentary with Marcus a few months ago for Dogma, it uh, it's not readily available anywhere at this point, no. right? Dogma. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, the reasons behind that are, um, you know, terrible <laughs> yeah. all the way around. Um, but essentially, yes, uh, Harvey Weinstein is the owner of Dogma, and because Which is, of that. It's fucked yeah. up, and and yeah, I I have heard uh, rumors, or or I think it's actually truth now that uh, d- you, you may find the movie somewhere out there, whether it be on you know on YouTube or on Kim and Smith's website. Uh, yeah. It's out there if you if you really want to see Dogma, and if you can't find it anywhere, and you shouldn't feel bad. I don't think Kevin Smith would would tell you to feel bad about you know pirating it right mike i i am am, am i right i mean he i mean you know he doesn't have it listed as dogma but i don't think it's any secret that he (laughs) has it on his website (laughs) (laughs) and yeah i mean he's talked about how he tried to buy it from weinstein and which isn't sorry i I interrupt you because it's just an insane thought that he's trying to buy his own movie back and and what uh, did uh, finish that thought, Mike. I'm sorry I interrupted you. Well, he, I mean, he talked a lot. Of, he's like, there were long discussions. Like, is it immoral to give this guy money for this movie? You know? And in the end, it was decided, like, well, if we can 
rescue the movie from him, then that's probably worth it. Yeah. Um, but he said that they went to them and he's like, admittedly, it was a very low offer, but they offered him whatever it was for the movie. And the response that they got back was um, that uh, Weinstein's lawyers or whoever is running his whatever is in active talks to sell the movie to someone else. They didn't say who, you know, and, and Smith is like, it's a good thing. At the same time, who is he selling it to? Because that person could be just as bad as Weinstein. I think the odds are probably slim. Um, but you know, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. But if anything, get it back out there. It's, it's not on Blu-ray anymore. It was, it was Mm -hmm. once it's a collector's item. Now it's, it's, I think that they think they still sell the DVDs. I own the DVD. Um, but yeah, it's not on any digital services. So it's kind of ended up somewhere. I, I, I do want that to have a proper release, not only because I want it, I would, I would want like a criterion release, uh, hopefully that's fe- that's possible in the future, but also just like the mere fact just to get out there again for people to talk yeah. about it again because I feel it's one of those that's it's not nearly talked about enough when it comes to Smith. So yeah, yeah. Oh well. Oh well. More. It, it, it took a bummer of an episode, Mike. <laughs> Clerks. Yeah. Oh well. Dogma. Oh well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Well. Well. Well, Marcelo, where can uh, people find you on the internet? They can find me over at talkfilmsociety.com. Like I said previously, uh, I did a commentary uh, with Marcus Irving. Uh, We did Dogma. Uh, And I also, uh, about over a year ago, I think at this point now, me and Matt Curione did a commentary for Clerks. Uh, Mm -hmm. I forget forget if I brought that up last time I was here. But yeah. Um, Yeah, that's it. And check out all the shows on Talk Film Society. Uh, dream a little deeper. Uh, a pod to be you. Uh, have a nice apocalypse. Check them all out. And th- and this show. Keep listening to this show. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Uh, we're just getting started. Yeah. So, yeah. And you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mumbles3K. You can also find me on my website, FilmDamagePod.com, where I do a show called Film Damage, where we talk about film projection time travel and star trek and uh you can find me uh on the network doing this show uh we're doing two episodes a week uh next up we have jay and silent bob strike back the final film in the view askew saga (laughs) the last time we ever see jay and silent bob uh, so thanks for for joining me for this little follow up, Marcelo. Oh, thank you. And uh, yeah, until next time, if you plan to podcast, let us know. <laughs>